I'm Tara. I'm Ryan. We love Disney movies. So we decided to watch them all, from Snow White to Frozen 2 and beyond. Each episode, we'll watch a different Walt Disney Animated Studios film and tell you all about it. Did we like it? Does it hold up? Who's our favorite hero? Or villain. We'll give you history and fun facts about each movie. And sometimes, we'll invite our friends to watch along with us. So put on your tiara. Or your evil crown. And join us on our adventure. This is Tara and Ryan's Princess Diaries. Hello, listeners. We are back, and today we have a very special guest. I've been super pumped to have him on. He is my childhood best friend from, I don't even know, how old were we when we met? I think, I mean, I'm... When I moved to that town that we met in, that town, um, that town, <laughs> I was three. So yeah, so we were probably two and three ish along there. Uh, and so uh, this is Jeremy. So hello and welcome. Hi, thank you for having me. This is fun. I think this is my first podcast, also, oh, ever. Oh, that's ever! Super exciting. Yeah, you're officially a white person. <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> that's awesome. Uh, so yeah, so well, we asked Jeremy on. Uh, Jeremy had seemed to have a very, very uh, uh, interesting perspective on a lot of the the stuff behind Little Mermaid, and he's the one who cued us into the Howard documentary, which was eye opening not only about the Little Mermaid, I think, but just about uh, Howard Ashman. Howard you have Ashman. to watch it. Yes, it's 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 required viewing for this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we wanted to bring him on. Uh, we know now now he's. Uh, got some other commitments today, so this one's going to be a little different, but we wanted to bring him on at least for part of the podcast and have him talk a little bit. But first, I want to I want to talk to both of you, because I think a lot of Tara's memories of watching a lot of these movies are like, oh, Jeremy and I used to watch yes. these, and, mm-hmm. and et cetera, et cetera. So I want to hear kind of like both of y'all's combined early memories of the little mermaid and experiences i feel like and i don't want to speak for jeremy but i feel like he's similar to you where like you have very concrete memories about very specific things and ryan's similar to that a lot of times whereas mine are more vague i definitely can remember watching it with you i know we played like versions of little mermaid as like imagination like us running around the house and things like that but for me sometimes watching the movies like i don't have as specific concrete memories all the time but i have like a you do i have like a freakish childhood memory like i can my my memories go like way far back and are pretty clear yeah um i mean i remember going to see it we saw at that movie theater that would have been like where the old rag shop was on route 37 tom's river oh so you would rag have gone shop? with us. Yeah, the it's rag like shop a, was like a craft store. Like a Michael. Well, that was the name of it. Yeah. I thought it was a type of shop that sold rags. <laughs> I mean, you're not wrong. You're, yeah, That's you're not a wrong. Good guess. But like we saw it there. And I yeah. remember like we would have, there's pictures of us at like the McDonald's playground before or after. Oh, that's super fun. See, yeah, I have no memory of that. Like, my memories aren't, like, very specific and concrete. So, if, you, if you're if you saying, uh, this is mostly for Jeremy first. Yeah. If you're saying that you guys used to play Little Mermaid, Jeremy, who who were you in the Little Mermaid play? Probably Ariel, honestly. Probably, yeah. Really? Mm-hmm. So, were you Ursula? Tara usually was the villain. Probably. I mean, yeah. I... I liked <laughs> villains from a young age. That was, that's like, a so very great. true statement. I mean, it depends. Like, the, also because... My sister would have been too young to play with us, probably. So it was probably just the two of us, like, kind of tag-teaming yeah. different characters mm-hmm. or scenarios. And, and then, like, she was we did... 
We did a oh, we did a Sleeping Beauty game where it was like tag. We did like a tag game, but it was Sleeping Beauty themed. You'd put each other to sleep. Yes. <laughs> Wait. So if if there's two of you playing, oh and- no, no, that was more people. That was, with the, neighbor. oh, okay. it was like the neighborhood kids. Yeah. And kickball was usually Jeremy and I against the rest of the neighborhood. <laughs> <laughs> were you guys any good? We were also the oldest, so oh, that was okay. part of it. So we were probably a little bit better. I think okay. we were pretty good at kickball. I think so. I mean, I also like am not good at anything sports related. Sports so like, related. <laughs> who knows if I was actually good or not? <laughs> well, I think the I think the playing field is a little more level at that age. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, and then I also kind of just want to go in, Jeremy, if you don't mind sharing just your background as a professional a little bit, because I think that will lend itself to also your experience about why we brought you into this and you can be as specific or vague as you want to be no cool as far as like you know what you're doing and kind of how you got started you know what i mean like any any version of that um i'm a writer i uh nowadays i'm primarily a playwright or dramatist um so i write a lot of things for the stage um so i'm like a librettist which means you write i write the script for musicals also plays, but I also do have three young adult novels out, um, which skew um, towards like young queer audiences. So I kind of like run the gamut in terms of writing, but I do also, I think part of why this particular film, I was drawn to talking about this film is that like both Howard Ashman and Hans Christian Andersen are like two of my personal like idols. I look up to them a lot. Um, and like kind of always have um, it's kind of become more concrete as I've gotten older and learned more about them individually um, so yeah I think I have a really specific <laughs> point of view of The Little Mermaid as a piece of like nostalgia for me as a young person and specifically a young gay person um, as a film as an adaptation and as a piece of like culture um, that has a history and a future this is the first time by the way audience that tara's seen someone and i i don't i know it's not a big difference like she's looking at jeremy on the computer and i'm not but my god is it throwing it me is off. different yeah <laughs> usually i i'm off. blind and ryan like can um, see the guests but so. it was hans christian anderson gay um well like i don't think that like that word didn't exist then and like the way right. that we contextual we kind of the, the attributes that we give a gay person nowadays were probably very different back then but yes he had same-sex attractions um okay it's it's just interesting because i watched a documentary a little bit on him and the story and them and, and them and disney reading the story and adapting it and making the changes and one of the people on that was like the most uh just severe danish person i've ever seen be like i am the director of the hans christian anderson museum <laughs> hans christian anderson felt very apart from people and that's why the uh the, the the little mermaid was made he felt not a part of this world because he had many loves that he fell out of love with women it was a lot of like he had met women and now knowing that he there was that was potentially not the case it's just it feels a little more like he was, it was women, I swear it was women. Like, it felt like they were like, I mean, it's a huge more. point of contention in, yes. amongst historians, I think. I think because he is a very precious Danish figure that um, mm-hmm. tarnishing his reputation with homosexuality is tricky. I'm saying tarnished yes. with like air quotes. Right, um, yeah. right, right. And also, like, throughout history, gay people, queer people have been 
completely erased or straight washed. Um, mm-hmm. And that's something that like we are constantly pushing back against. It's like when you read the Iliad and they're like, oh, no, Achilles just liked Patroclus a lot. He was just a really good friend, but he, like, also, like, wept over his body for days (laughs) and, like, killed people in revenge against him. So it's like, no, he was a gay person. He had a relationship with him. So I think, like, I I am going to look at this as he was a gay person. And, like, there are, like, Hans Christian Andersen's journals exist. Letters between him and Edward Cullen, who he wrote The Little Mermaid for, exist. Edward Cullen wrote a memoir mentioning this it exists like these these things exist um so watching you know old white straight people scramble to say that someone (laughs) isn't gay is (laughs) crazy to me (laughs) it's also amusing but if you have the blu-ray of this i don't know if it was on disney plus but check out the hans christian anderson because just that guy in general is very like well and this isn't a one for one, but I feel like we come across that when we read about Walt Disney, that they've not that him being gay. That's why I'm saying it's not a one for one. But the the like changing history, they oh, yeah, write yeah. a lot of like how they want to present Walt Disney to the public. Again, I'm, I'm not saying Walt Disney was gay, but what I am saying is I think there's a lot about Walt Disney we don't know. Like, I think he wasn't always a very good person or totally. a nice person or a kind person. Um, and so I think. Yeah, I, I think especially um, to push that in every aspect, no matter what, what it's focused on. But I feel like especially um, in the, I don't know how to say it, the queer, like... Realm? How do you say that? <laughs> the queer, yeah, I the guess. Queer like realm? In the, yeah, in the queer realm, I think it's, like you said, even more important to make sure that those stories are out there. Because then I also feel There's like... There's a movie I want to see. Yeah, well, I the feel queer like... queer realm? <laughs> I feel like for the next for the next generations to come, right? Like those are your yeah. I mean, like those... you said the people you look up to, and I feel like to know that it's existed long before any of us, right? And that it is not a taboo, weird thing. Yeah, absolutely. And I th- I should also mention that like most of my current writing is about like queer ancestry. That is like kind of like as I'm becoming a more mature writer, I think one of the hallmarks of my work is an appreciation a yearning for all of that that I don't like I don't have a very strong cultural history I wasn't I wasn't brought up like very Christian or Jewish or Italian or Irish Mm -hmm. like my identity is wrapped up in my queerness um very proudly so I think um I struggle a lot that I don't also have the history to look at the way that other cultural groups do and I also also a quick thing too like I I am a gay man if it's not clear from this conversation um but so like i'm a cis gay man but also i use the term queer freely um and that for me that is an umbrella term of like the lgbt plus community and anyone whose like gender identity or sexual identity situates them outside of society's like expectations so like i'm fine with using if i say queer i sometimes (laughs) use it interchangeably with gay and, and vice versa so um, if that helps okay, clear no, up the way we're talking, I'm talking about it and you guys talk about yeah. it too. That's great. Jeremy, I have one question before we go on to, I think a little bit of talking about Howard Ashman. Um, you said that Hans Christian Anderson was writing letters to Edward Cullen. Yeah. So it's Edward, Edward with the V, I guess maybe you pronounce it Edward. Um, but isn't that Colin, isn't that Colin, the, it's Edward Colin. Oh, okay. Isn't Edward Cullen the vampire and, <laughs> 
In no. Twilight, yes. Yes. <laughs> I was like, excuse me? I mean, I don't... Maybe Stephanie Meyer has, like, a deep-seated appreciation for Danish hey, history. You never know. Hey, I Jeremy, don't know. we could do a whole other podcast going into Stephanie Meyer's deep-seated... Everything. Things. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> we, um, do, we do not have time. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I wanted to just, like, give a couple of the, like, stats up at the front. Okay, and then yeah. I feel like it. I feel like it will naturally go into Howard because I want to talk about the Oscars and stuff. And then yeah, yeah. I feel like that's, like, a good place. Little Mermaid came out. I don't know if we've... Yeah, we've said we we're talking about the Little Mermaid. It's on the... T- it's I don't know. It's on the title. Yeah, you're good. Uh, <laughs> we're not talking about Pinocchio. Yes. Yeah. Uh, it came out in 1989. It has a 93% on Rotten Tomatoes, which if it had any less, I would have been very upset. So um, I think it should have 100%. But anyway. <laughs> uh, and then the Hans Christian Andersen fairy tale, I looked it up and read that it was 1837 or thereabouts, I guess. Yes, there is. But that yeah. is there is a second publication that came out several years later, too. But the original okay. publication was done. Good to know. Uh, yeah, just, I figured you would have a better idea of that because I just did like a very quick search to find it. Just real quick, the top three movies of 1989 were Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, Batman, and the sequel to Tara's favorite movie, Back to the Future Part Two. The Little Mermaid uh, was uh, number nine that year, oh. which was a big deal coming yeah. off of the other ones, which were we talk about going again. Once again, we're in another uh, uh, series of behind the scenes where they just bury the black cauldron. And Always then, and forever. <laughs> and they, they talk about uh, you know things going up, 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 and then when this came out, they said, "Hey, this is testing well. People like it, but don't." Jeffrey Katzenberg, who I believe I was calling Jeffrey Katzenberger earlier. Sorry for that. I think when I was watching the things this time, I went, "Oh no, I've been screwing that up." Um, but anyway, just Jeffrey Katzenberg said like, "Hey." Don't get to the directors. Don't get too excited. Like this is gonna do good, and we're really excited about this movie. But it's a girl movie, so it's not gonna make it a, a ton cool, of money. Thanks, Jeffrey. Uh, it also like and they're like, was... and he said it like that. He was like, "That's just the way things are. Girl movies don't make money." And then they went. I think it transcended gender. It went. Oh yes, crazy. So um, and they also I read somewhere I don't have the figure, but they spent so much money on this film, like mm-hmm. to create it because of many different things. But at the Oscars, it won for Best Original Song, which was Under the Sea, but Kiss the Girl was also nominated. So there were two songs that it could have won for. So I found that interesting. But it won for Under the Sea, and then it also won for Best Music Original Score. And then at the Golden Globes, it won those same awards, but it was also nominated in one of the Best Picture categories, which I also thought was very cool. For musical or comedy. Yeah, so I thought that that was really neat. Um, and then this, uh, kind of is kind of where I think is a good part to segue into Howard, because I don't know if it was in his acceptance speech or if it was in the actual documentary, but him saying that he wanted something to live on after me. And when he talks to Alan, um, so you find out in the documentary, I guess we should say here, if you want to watch the documentary, if you don't know a lot about Howard's life and you don't want it spoiled for you. I don't think you, people get spoiled, spoiled by documentaries. A, I, don't, like, I, think, I think that that's a weird thing, yeah. but I don't know if people want to discover it on their own, I guess I should say. I don't like using the term spoiled for this. Howard Ashman weird. wrote uh, Little Shop of Horrors, which I don't, I knew this fact, like the, the stage production. Yeah. I knew this fact, but for some reason, like my brain never like connected the two i was like oh yeah this is this and then now every time i hear any of the songs he does in disney i'm like this feels like this like uh like the one from um oliver and company feels like like on once upon a time in new york City. yeah mm-hmm. it feels like skid row you know and it's just it's just 
interesting to me now to my brain finally went okay now we're going to allow you to have these connections and understand this yeah well and he i guess him and alan joked that it was um somewhere that's green is little shop of horrors and they used to joke part of your world they had like a nickname called somewhere that's dry because it was like a very similar like you know is that same kind of kind of style yeah um but he was diagnosed and living with hiv and aids and he like pulls alan aside after they went i sobbed through this whole documentary (laughs) and he said hey we need to talk yeah and says you know i'm gonna die but you'll be taken care of and that like just like ripped my heart out but like i think also just shows so much of like howard i think howard was so like before his time i don't know if that like really is how i want to say it but like he was always so forward thinking and always like thinking ahead in so many different ways and i think like that just is like another example of that i don't know if i'm saying that my right, my but. take from it was i mean i don't i i don't think i and we have a actual theater yes, person we are obviously have gonna have your take from it but <laughs> i as 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 a non like you know like i have tend to be like musical theater i just shut off for for some of it yeah but like a i really enjoy his uh, little shop is one of my favorite plays little shop is my favorite musical period yes it's the only thing i ever i quit jazz band to be in little shop yeah um and then all these other people dropped out and i ended up like picking up other parts like to do Mm -hmm. stuff um some people who listen to this they that's who listen to our podcast know me from that wait where were you in little shop there's like four roles were you just like a bum and then a plan. So I was, I was, <laughs> I, I, I was two of the people who came at the end and tried to give him, um, a contract. Oh yes, yes, yes. Oh yeah. And it, I was originally one, but then someone else dropped out. I'm like, oh, I'll do that. And then I came in going, they go, what role do you want to play? I'm like, well, I want to play the Bill Murray role from the movie. And they're like, well, that's not in the play. And I'm like, <laughs> but Jeremy, I go, well, says you and me and the dentist who were became really good friends wrote this whole scene and went and said, can we do it? And they went, all right. And so we added the dentist scene. So I got to play Bill. That is 100% illegal, but it is in the past. (laughs) As a member of the dramatist guild, I have to say that. (laughs) Oh no. Like, I, I suddenly have a rush of like anxiety, like like so. This, you're I, fine. You delete you're this fine. Part. I'm sure you're not alone in the things that were done in that way. Unfortunately, <laughs> um, but um, I thought he like he just he showed this. There's a lot of things where sometimes, as as a creative, when I see things, I go, well, whether or not this is good. This is obviously something we've talked about in this podcast. This is the difference between a movie made by somebody who loves the source material and who doesn't. And Howard shows a love for animation in a way that's like, but through the lens of, of musical theater yeah. in a way that he has such a passion for it and, and, and brings it's, 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 it's such a lightning in the bottle in a bottle person that it's like, I understand this, this medium completely, but I'm also coming at it from a lens that I don't think a lot of people had thought of it up to that point. Because previous to that, there's a whole different way Disney does songs. And after this, I think they're still in some ways trying to capture the Howard Ashman magic Yeah. in, in new Disney stuff. Jeremy, you're the expert here. What do you got? <laughs> no, I think that's all, that's all pretty right. I think I can add like a little bit more context and, and nuance to it that like, mm-hmm. you know, 
Disney animated features for many years, as you guys know, after watching them, like were musicals and they were reflective of how musicals functioned, you know, in the thirties, forties, fifties, they weren't, um, as full blown as some musical as some of them are now, but they like Cinderella has music and Snow White right. has music. And then they went into this darker period. Some people might consider it where there wasn't any music. And I think Howard Ashman came at it from someone who was a musical theater writer um, who appreciated that form and appreciated the older form of Walt Disney animated features. And he kind of then synthesized the two. So he kind of at once brought back a form that they weren't utilizing anymore and also um, brought in what you'd say like contemporary musical theater is um yes. and that is has a little bit more structure um mostly because by the time he was writing you know people had studied musical theater so they could say like this is where an opening number goes this is where an i want song goes this is where an act break goes so i think he kind of came at a perfect time to kind of um t- teach people what musical theater form was and say, like, these are the good things about what you guys used to do. Like, I think of The Little Mermaid as, like, an ode to both those things. Like, even from Ursula blowing up to a gigantic size at the end is an ode to uh, um, Maleficent turning into a dragon. So I mm. think he knew the things that worked about um, animated fairy tales from, you know, the from the mid-20th century. Um yeah. And what he wanted to, to take from that and what he how he wanted to kind of like um, play with that and invert it in some cases and, and you know, like push it forward, if that makes yeah. sense. So, well, one thing I was going to say about that is they actually had him. So they did a rough where they basically filmed the storyboard and they put it all together and showed it to Jeffrey Katzenberg. And he goes, I love this story. I love this animation. I don't love them together. What's wrong here? And so they had to kind of like go back and do some different changes and then actually animate out some stuff. Cause part of it was Jeffrey Katzenberg had a hard time looking at something and seeing what it was going to be. And some of it was, they were missing some beats, but they brought Howard in and Howard like rewrote scenes, well, like not musical they, scenes, like yes. actual. And they also talk about where he has one interview that he's like, so say you had a song like part of your world. <laughs> and then they joke about how, like, at that point, he had pretty much written all the music. He just, like, didn't really, like, give it to them that he had written all the music. But, like, he had already he- had that thought. And going back to, like, the musical form, I was reading our, it might have been from the documentary. My notes are kind of, like, melded together. But him saying that a lead character needs a want. And I feel like that's something that Disney had and then and then like it went away from so the same thing that jeremy was saying with like they had music and then they didn't i think when we talk about why films were successful versus they weren't part of that is like the motivation of the lead and the motivation of the villain and we talked about that in oliver and company the villain didn't really have a very strong motivation he was like Mm. a bad mobster guy but like he didn't have a very specific focus and i think howard did that so seamlessly both with the music and just like the whole production of the film i want to get in this one quote because i think about this quote all the time since he said this specifically about part of your world where he said in every musical there is a scene where the the female lead sits on a trash can a porch stoop or an undersea grotto and sings a song about what you want and that's when the audience falls in love with her and i i 
love that that sentiment. Like it 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 is again. I feel like I'm watching this through whole new eyes, and I'm really excited to see it. But like now, I'm yeah. like, oh, that's what this is. That's what somewhere that's green is. That's what this yeah. is. So. And you can look at that then moving forward in the next, you know, handful of movies. Yeah. It doesn't necessarily mean it's a female protagonist, but, you know, like, you know, Belle sings her reprise of Belle. And, Aladdin sings it, yeah. Yeah, and, and you know, like, I, then there's, I just can't wait to be king. Like, there's all of these, the I Want song became super, super, super important to Disney animation. Um, and yeah. then again, once they started to deviate from that, things fell apart. Um What's so, the I Want song in Home on the Range, Jeremy? <laughs> I have only seen Home on the Range one time. And I, I have don't, never, seen, never it, seen it, and, and I'm not looking for forward podcast. to it. <laughs> I remember not liking it. I own it on DVD, and it's just one of those things that I just have. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the other thing I want to talk about here with Howard, um, he talked about how much fun it was to write for Ursula. I have a whole page of Ursula stuff. We may, we're obviously going to get to some of it, but um, we'll get to this movie eventually. Yeah. Uh, but talking about how sophisticated she was, but he did all the demos for all the songs. And I w- was curious on your point of view with this, Jeremy, because I was so fascinated to watch him and his inflections and the way he would change from one character to another and how the performers who had those roles picked up stuff from him. Like Pat Carroll admits Oh, I picked up how Harry, how Howard carried himself, how he moved his shoulders. Like I did that when well, I was singing it. She asked him and to sing it, and he put on a cloak. Yes. and he did the whole song. Yeah, and like there's several ad libs that she took from Howard that he did when he like performed it for her. In it is Howard. Yeah, there's a couple more, yeah. but yeah. Um, and so I was curious: is that a common thing that? when you have that duo like because he was just so connected to the material and truly could have played i think every part um and <laughs> i kind of a, i want a, yeah. I want a like album of just howard singing everything because i absolutely <laughs> loved it like i was kind of obsessed with it but i just was wondering is that common is that not like it was just so eye-opening to me because i think he brought so much to each character that was then used like you can directly see like his influence with each character i mean i don't know i don't think it's um i mean it also depends on the performer some actors really would hate yeah. that um yeah i think howard ashman was an auteur um so he like had a tight control over his artistic vision as much as tightly as disney would let him you know um yeah. and you could and like the the little mermaid and all the movies he worked on the musicals are, are very much his aesthetic along with you know alan Menken. um and i think that like when you have such a tight vision for that um you can't help but express it and That's i think that yeah. i think that energy rubs off on people i think i would imagine from what i also understand like people liked working with howard so that um, like an actress could look at him and feel comfortable with asking him a question about a line reading. Um, but yeah, I, I, I don't know that it is super common, but I think that they, they, it, it's his material, so he's going to direct it a little bit. Yeah, no, that totally makes sense. And there's also some great videos of him directing like Jodie Benson on how to sing Yes, yes, in the dark because yeah. he wanted them to feel like. But if they you were watch underwater. other, if you watch other um, writers like uh, you know, uh, 
uh, the Anderson Lopez's who worked on Frozen, like when if you watch that like that like seven part Frozen two documentary, which is on Disney Plus, which is wonderful and gives you a really good insight on the creative process. Um, mm. You see recording sessions that they do with all the different actors on the music, and they again are like are very specific about how they wrote the song. But again, I think it is like mm. it is ultimately a collaboration between the two entities. Yeah, yeah. No, I would agree with that. I was just curious, like, how much that transfers, like, in just strict in the musical theater world. But I can also see your point of, like, performers also want to add their not creativity puppets, piece to it. Yeah. Yeah, it so does translate. It does translate. But... I mean, like, nowadays, like, the musical that I, I co-wrote, um, there are demos of all the music. And, like, the actors hear them, and sometimes, and most of the demos are performed by Sam Salman, who wrote the music and lyrics. So, like, they will pick up on the way that he intends things to mm-hmm. sound. And then sometimes yeah. they do something completely different. Sometimes you love it, and sometimes you hate it. Again, it's like, yeah. this is why musical theater and animation has a kind of a long development process because there's so much collaboration, so much revision. It's, it's very, very finely tuned. So, um, you never know what's going to come out on the other side. <laughs> So uh, one thing I wanted to definitely bring up with you, Jeremy, but I talked, I watched this last night. Tara knows I was like, this is so exciting because it was while we've been watching some of these things, we've been kind of high-fiving each other and being like, we knew this high-five. Yeah, we said like in our podcast. Yay for Beauty, us. <laughs> Waking Sleeping Beauty, it mentioned a lot of the things we've covered and we're like, Oh, we, did we it. do we're, know what we're, we're talking about. We're, we're okay. <laughs> um, we, so this was one of, this is a movie that brought back something we saw a lot on the old, old movies. And that was, filmed reference the member on alice in wonderland and peter pan and sleeping beauty where they would f- shoot the whole film mm-hmm. in like a black box theater oh, yeah they they decided to do that again for this and i want to get her name i want to get both their names because they cast someone as ariel and as eric um and their names were uh sherry stoner who was an improv actress on the groundlings and josh finkel who was an a- who was a had a theater background oh and you have to watch these things because Sherry Stoner is Ariel. All because she started improving stuff. They're doing the scene. She did the whole scene where he, she like with the fork. With yes, the hopper. Yeah, and she it looks just like her, and she's got these big wide eyes, and she's excited <laughs> about everything. And they're asking her. They do things a couple different ways, but they didn't have the budget that they did in the original Disney ones. So they're in a tiny, tiny thing, and they they take tape and they put. Uh, squares on the wall is reference of like this is what the perspective would look oh, like okay, got and it. it's this blue thing and it looks it looks like if you me and jeremy's tried to shoot the little mermaid with whatever we had around the house yeah because there's a part where he's like rowing the rowboat and they're just someone's behind him pushing him in an office chair and he's got like two sticks and then, <laughs> whatever like, works it's, yeah. it is it is and they are ha- they look like they're having a blast That's because great. they're just like improv this and she's scrambling like the whole scene where Ariel is trying to explain what is happening, but she doesn't have her voice. Mm-hmm. That's, they went, she's trying to explain what she's having. She goes, well, what do you want it to look like? She's like, they're like, go with it. And she just did stuff. And they're like, it's, it's definitely worth watching. I bet that's on the, that's somewhere on Disney we'll Plus. We'll have to look post for it because we own the Blu-ray of Little Mermaid, but. But it's interesting to watch it because they go into the whole thing of like when Disney first tried doing that, they tried rotoscoping, which is they film something and they just draw over it and it looks weird. And then when they try to just draw, uh, just draw a regular person, they look rubber hosey and they look very strange. So what they do with this is they get main frames yeah. and then they 
animate to those frames. They don't copy it. They just... And that's also what we talk about with the animals. Like, anytime that they capture dog personalities and different... We talked about that a lot with Oliver. I feel like having those real references makes such a huge difference, I feel like, for the animators. And um, the other thing I wanted to mention is, uh, with the animators, I read somewhere that they went from 150 animators to 500, I believe, on this. Yeah, well, um, they, remember that's when after Roger Rabbit did they brought they the knew it was going to be hit. Over. They dumped everybody over. And when you mentioned Xerox, I read another uh, fact that they wanted every bubble in the entire film to be hand drawn. They didn't want a Xerox. My they God. didn't want to go back to Xerox, so they f- had to farm it out, obviously, because they couldn't do it. And they farmed it out. I have it somewhere in my notes. I have like three pages of notes, but they farmed it out to. A company that was in China and they were based in Beijing, but it was during like the uprising of the students. So there was like, so when everything was happening in Beijing, they almost lost like all of that. Like they wound up. They almost lost all the bubbles. I know. They almost (laughs) lost all the bubbles, but I just thought it It was was truly the worst thing to come out of that uh, (laughs) political situation. Um, I did though think it was interesting that they were like adamant they didn't want to Xerox it after like the Xerox era of, you know, they were cutting corners and saving time. They made like a very active decision that they didn't want to do that, mm-hmm. even with just the bubbles and nothing else. So I found that hmm. interesting. But what what do you think about the, the going back real quick to the uh, uh, stage acting thing? Like it's I, I think we need to watch this with the idea that Ariel is played by a improv comedian and <laughs> Eric is played by an actual like theater background person because they kept talking about how he was so like game for like, what do you want me to do? I don't know. I just think that's so cool. I mean, I like, wonder if they would have needed to do as much of that if the character, what like Ariel, doesn't have a voice for this the last half of the movie. Yeah, that's a good so point. So the yeah. the role requires a very physicalized performance, and I feel like that mm-hmm. was probably. I mean, I think I think that was probably the gesture that started that. Well, the other reason they did it is they got her to jump into a tank, and they all animated her hair. So because... I also read that they they based her hair floating in the water off of a female astronaut, Sally. Oh, maybe Sally uh, Rogers is that her name? I oh again, God, I have it in my notes, but I have I have so many notes, but I know her first name Sally. But she was an astronaut, and they they looked at how her hair looked in weightless conditions. Well, so I, I'm sure they looked at several reference yeah. points to do that. I yeah. think it's cool that she was in a tank. They, well, they got her in a tank and she was like, it was not heated. Uh, <laughs> she's like, I was having fun, but she's like, I would come up and I could, I, you know, I was, it wasn't heated, so I couldn't stay under very long. Yeah. And there were all these portholes in it and you've got all these animators oh and God. cameras like watching her yeah. and she'd go under like she'd come through like all right we want you to go under and swim left to right she's like okay <laughs> i want you to go all the way down and come all the way up real fast she's like okay yeah oh that's <laughs> she's crazy. still she was she was in the documentary and it's funny because she's explaining it and the way she's explaining it has the same manic energy and it's yeah i i i, I don't know what else this woman has done but i love her well <laughs> I also want to just really quickly jump back to the Hans Christian Andersen version, if there's anything that Jeremy wanted to mention. And Mm. I also wanted to say that Disney acquired this property in 1941. uh, And that in 1943, they were going to make a version that was darker and more consistent with the original version. It was shorter, too. It was a short. Yeah, it was going to be... a collection of store of all of the the fairy tales. It was, so it was going to be shorter, but it was going to be included with other uh, fairy tales. And then with World War Two, they were so focused on the propaganda films that they did that they pushed it aside. And so I just found that interesting. We keep talking about 
Disney has passed away and been gone for a while now, but his hand is still in so many projects because he acquired this property. Like, even if it didn't develop in the way he originally saw it developing, like, he still was instrumental in, like, getting the property for it. But I didn't know if you wanted to talk about the original story at all, if there was anything specific you wanted to mention, just so we don't, like, forget about it. Yeah, I mean, it it does, for the most part, it tracks until a certain point. Um, I mean, I mean, everyone knows that like the original Hans Christian Andersen version, the mermaid dies at the end. Um, and I think it's important to look at this as part of his personal life (laughs) that like he was in love with this man named, named Edward Cullen and, um, wrote him many like love letters. Um, and Edward later married a woman. And this is, this is about the time that Anderson wrote the little mermaid, um, which kind of like displays himself as like a losing himself, losing one prince to another, you know? Um, And, you know, in the original story, um, that's what happens. The prince falls in love with another princess and the mermaid part as part of her deal with the sea witch. um, If this happens, she is to turn into sea foam, which is the equivalent of dying. Um, and what yeah. is very sad about that, besides death, is that in the Anderson in Anderson's mythology for mermaids is that mermaids don't have souls, so she completely ceases to exist after this. So doing so, um, risking her immortality, if you will, um, on this human prince is, a re- is has like even higher stakes than we than even the the Disney version has um the very harsh danish museum curator seemed to imply that she gained her soul at the end well there is a second version that was published Mm. in which a coda is added that um basically says like if all you little girls and boys are good the Uh, mermaid will get a soul and go to heaven (laughs) i feel like that's kind of like a a page from the Grimm, like yeah. It's as if you, yeah. But I think but it it's also inter- sounds very like it's up to you. If <laughs> it you're is. not good, this other person will not get a soul. It's like yeah. I. But it very I, much aligns. <laughs> it very much aligns though with like Anderson's own personal turmoil because of all of all of his um you know issues with homosexuality wrapped him in his Christianity. There are instances of his, in his journals every time he had a let's let's say an impure thought he would draw a crucifix like a cross in his journal. So there's pages where there's just like a lot of crosses. It's like super, it's super depressing. But it's yeah. like he saw if he saw himself as the mermaid, as someone who kind of was like risking his soul to be with another man. I, I think I mean I find I find I find it fascinating and and very much a testament to like what it was like to be a person with same sex desire in the you know, late 19th century. Um, I I have a question about, because there's the whole issue that when she's walking on land, it feels as if she's stepping on knives. That's part of it, right? Is that, this is, this is a, you know, white straight guy, like trying to make a, a point. Is that like, it's painful to pretend you're something you're not, or like, is there something there or does that, I think you can read it that way. Um, Mm -hmm. And similarly, she also cuts her tongue is physically cut out of her 
mouth yes. in this story. So I think there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff to unpack there about like what that yeah. means, how that translates to um, Anderson's own life and like what it meant to pass and what it meant to not live authentically. And I think that like when Howard Ashman then reapproached this material, like not only is that ending inappropriate probably for a, a family film in 1989, <laughs> but I also don't think it like aligns with the way he lived his life as an out gay man. So like seeing the mermaid succeed <laughs> at her goal, I think is, uh, is trying to then like align with, with what it meant to be a, the potential of being a gay man in yeah. the eighties and nineties. Um, despite all this horrible stuff with AIDS crisis happening. I mean, at the end, like, King Triton throws a literal rainbow over them. He blesses them. So, like... Yeah. I don't like, want to... they're accepted. They're accepted, the the you know? Yeah. And I don't want to, like... I want to be careful and not say that, like, The Little Mermaid is, like, a gay propaganda piece. I don't... <laughs> I don't think it is, but it it, it... 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 I think if you... um have a certain point of view from your life and lived experience you can see it in a completely different light than other people do and especially knowing how it's loaded with the history of anderson and the history of ashman um you can kind of see a lot of more interesting well, colorful things than that it's interesting you bring up that end because that was one of the scenes that howard rewrote was the king triton like actually saying I'm going to miss her like and and giving this blessing and doing that whole thing because originally he just kind of did it or it just kind of happened and it was a quiet like only visual scene yeah and mm -hmm. I and they said he wrote it to be like I want it to be very explicit that he's giving that he's accepted this and blah 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 and it wasn't hitting so that was one of the scenes he rewrote mm. I mean it's 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 lovely and it also kind of just like gives him a, a full arc if you think yeah. of like, I think a lot of these characters have like really nice, clean arcs. And I think that is pro probably someone just like who has a fresh eye for storytelling, like Howard Ashman and Alan Menken, who could kind of keep an eye on that. What's yeah. what's Flounder's arc? <laughs> what's Flounder? Where, where's his arc in this? It might be completed in The Little Mermaid 2 when he is old. <laughs> I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't realize we had to do supplements. I don't know. Here. It is the most shocking thing. I remember being a child and being like, why Why is he old? Because apparently he's a child, which we don't, is not explained in the it's first film. He is a the child the entire time. And then he has an old, older male voice in the second one. And has oh, like no. no. It is very <laughs> so disturbing. I don't uh, recommend. Um, do we want to cover Ursula? I, I know we're going to ask Jeremy back a little later to do the ranking to with us. specifically do the ranking. I just kind of wanted to talk about, like, who influenced her and things yes. like that, because they talk about... John Waters um, appearing in this uh, making of Little Mermaid, which is a little like, why is he here? Until so they got to well, Ursula, I was like, divine, oh, Divine, okay. yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I wanted to talk about that. Like, uh, she was based on Divine. She was also based on Madame Medusa, so they did pull stuff from mm -hmm. that, from the rescuers. Oh, so I found it interesting, too. They originally created the character for B. Arthur. Did you know B. that? B. Arthur? That's what I read, yeah, but she was busy with Golden Girls, so, you know, good Thank for her. Thank God. I mean, yeah. I mean, I'm into that. I think that's very cool. I think it would be very cool to have her. I, I don't think it would be exactly how it went with Pat Carroll, but me, I, I'm into her. Here's me playing my hand, but I think Ursula is near perfect. Like... Gaston will always be my favorite villain, but like Ursula is near perfect, and the I even though I think B. Arthur would be close, and I think I can see the B. Arthurness, yeah, like 
I just think Ursula is just perfect. Like, I, I agree with you, Ryan. Yeah. She is a yeah. very yeah. well very character. in so yes. many different ways. Um, apparently, though, Roseanne Barr. Nope. Yeah. Was, no. uh, was audition. I'm not saying they wanted her to do it, but after they found out B. Arthur couldn't do it, a bunch of people auditioned. Roseanne Barr was in the running. And Elaine Stritch from um, Two's Company. She's also incredibly. She's she's an incredibly famous theater actress and very oh, high regarded. And that um, is great because she's an incredible. So that kind of tracks that like yeah, she's she incredible. should be in the running. Yes. Roseanne Barr, I was like, huh, um, which is fine. Uh, but yeah, they... Roseanne Barr comes back later in Home on the Range. So oh, it's just it all comes. But back again, this is range. all like this is all reaching back to Howard Ashman's aesthetic. Like these are all. Yeah. These are all like cult gay favorites really yes well and that's Roseanne Barr is a cult gay favorite absolutely have you ever seen She Devil Uh, no no. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I don't know if it would have come out by then but like she's I think she's she's, she she has this kind of larger than life persona that some of us are attracted to (laughs) yeah Uh, they also talked about the original drawings, and so I have two villain books. I've talked about them. Uh, but uh, the original drawings of Ursula are so different from what she becomes, and I also know, I read that Howard Ashman had a hand in that as well, well talking they, about how she should look and present herself. But I want to just make a note. Sorry, I just want to make a note here that I want to post. I have pictures yeah. of that I want to share because there's a couple different versions of what she looked like. Long they, they originally wanted her to be like a lionfish. Yeah, and she was. They're very she was cool. Tall they're very cool skinny. drawings. Yes, they're awesome drawings. And then she eventually become. And I want to make this clear because Pat Carroll also backs me up on the thing. She is not an octopus. She is a squid because an octopus has eight legs and she has six. Well, I read that some fans say that her arms count mm, as her other. Two okay. I would. Arms. I would say that as well. Okay. Yeah, so she but, is an octopus. But do you know why she has only six legs instead of eight? Because it was cheaper. Cheaper to, to draw. Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad we came across the same stuff. But I did find it interesting that people said that her arms, and I would agree that her arms are very much part of that. Mm-hmm. Oh, I wanted to talk about the lead animator for her. So there were four animators that drew her all together, but Ruben, and I did not write down his last name, but... um, He's on the documentary. Yeah, but we're just going to... We're BFFs, me and Ruben. But anyway, Ruben, uh, he had the responsibility and about half the footage of her. So he, I think, is giving credit a lot. But I thought it was interesting that there were four animators on just specifically Ursula. So I I just found that interesting. Um, And the other thing is you talk a lot and we'll talk about it. Period. End of the sentence. Well, true. (laughs) Uh, We'll talk about it. We'll talk about it with sidekicks and villain henchmen. That you think Flotsam and Jetsam are like, meh. Like, you don't think they bring a lot to it. Now, what I read here that I thought was interesting from the Frank and Ollie villain book is they say that the eels specifically represent the slimy, sleazy quality for Ursula that we never see with Ursula. Ursula is always so charismatic in a way, and she's sophisticated, and she's got that fake sense of sweetness like Cruella, like, you know, like getting her way. But she's also like like really slimy when you think about like what she's doing and everything and flotsam and jetsam kind of represent that quality that we don't see from her but like she's like in this underworld essentially they're her henchmen yeah but okay so a couple things number one this movie just so we know is the when i came up with the uh what's the princess what's the prince this is the gold standard it okay. has sidekicks. It has henchmen. I think of 
it like it has a princess, it has a prince, it has a villain. Yeah. Like this is what I think of of like what are the elements of a little of the Little Mermaid that then went into the standard questions we have for this. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so one, so so Flotsam and Jetsam again, I think are good, but I think there's henchmen. I think they're the standard for henchmen. Yes, I just thought it was interesting to look at it from that point of view that they bring a quality to yes. her that we don't see from her. Um, That's what I, th- I thought was kind of an interesting point. The of view. other thing I want to bring up about them that I, I thought there is a on the Blu-ray and possibly on Disney Plus there is a deleted scene and a deleted character named Herman the Mermaid. Okay. And Herman the Mermaid is them at the beginning showing he goes back to Ursula and he's like she's like I you didn't you had three days to fulfill your contract and he's like well you treated me and she turns him into a into a polyp I think they're called are they called a polyp that's what I read I read (laughs) somewhere that they were referred to as polyps I just those are the poor unfortunate souls in my head but yeah so it's like but he's this like bespeckled uh mermaid merman with like spiky hair oh interesting. and it's funny because he because the two directors come on and they're both old guys with with glasses and herman looks just like him they're like we we miss herman but we understand why he had to go well because now it's wrapped up into poor unfortunate souls which is some yeah, yeah, yeah. economic storytelling exactly. there you go um and then just one or two facts about ariel i know i really could go on for days i know we've been talking a while and we want to be respectful of your time uh, they deliberately you, Jeremy, and also the people who are then going to have to. <laughs> yes, the second half yes. of this podcast. Um, but they deliberately made her a redhead to distinguish her from Splash. So that yes. was like an active, an active choice that because they made. Katzenberg came in and goes, "Well, mermaids are blonde, and they're we know we all know mermaids are blonde." And the the, the leads went, "Do we know that? Like, what do you <laughs> yeah, mean?" Yeah. And they said it's much easier to draw like red, uh distinct red and green like are a good uh they're complementary like colors. They're complementary yeah. colors. And then when you when she goes into dark places, it's easier to like darken red and still have mm-hmm. it like very vibrant whereas yeah. dark dark yellow. Well, and all the sisters each tail is a different color of the rainbow. I read that. I will that give kind of either of you $25 if you can name every sister right now. I feel like Jeremy might be able to. I, know, I, I would have to like I, sing it and I know I would sing them. I would say it wrong. Okay. So. Because <laughs> I, was, I was like, in my head so I was going to. you're gonna, not going to be on So because I feel like, it, like, like one's like, I know like Athena, Athena. I don't know. I don't know what the name is. Yeah. So like, I just I, know uh, like the syllables. I the almost said $100, but then I like, when I went, oh, Jeremy might actually know this and I backed up. Yeah. The <laughs> other thing is all their names, they end with the first letter they start with except for Ariel. Hmm. So, I mean, they're all A names, right? Or are they not all A names? I, I don't, don't remember. I think I think they are all A names. Yeah. So they end hmm. and start with the letter A. So I found that kind of interesting, too. Um, they also said that her body type and personality was based on Alyssa Milano, which is Samantha from Who's the Boss? Huh. You can, to- you can totally see it. Yeah. Um, and then uh, the other thing... I feel like there's one more thing but it's fine we can cut it out because i don't know where it is but yeah there's a million facts about this film so this is similar to roger rabbit where i feel like we've kind of shared what was interesting to us but like if you love this film like go do some more research on it like it's so fascinating everything that both ryan and i read and watched and i just think as jeremy mentioned like watching it from a different lens and a different perspective and and viewing it in a different way i know the two of us are going to view it very differently than i think we would have before this conversation and before we did our research um and i think that that's a real testament to this film too that you're able to to get so much out of it 
each time you view it, if that makes sense. I think that's like important to think about like with any media that you like and to remind people to like be curious about things that like if you like The Little Mermaid, why don't you look up other things that Howard Ashman and Alan Menken created together or separately and kind of just like start to widen like what you're tastes are and just expose yourself to new things so like if you haven't seen or heard little shop of horrors like stop everything and go do that yes you will love it you know and then like also look at alan menken's uh, um collaborations with other lyricists which will happen later on in the renaissance um so i think i think like just use this as a launching pad or learn about hans christian anderson and the other adaptations of his work and what, what were good and what were bad i just think like the more curious you can be about the things you love the more you'll have in your brain and I do want to recommend also like when I was um what kind of really got me interested in this besides like having a long-standing interest in Little Mermaid that I think was subconsciously (laughs) yeah (laughs) attributed to my identity um I when I was in college I took a queer cinema class and I my final paper was like looking at Disney films through a queer lens and I my like primary book that I was really into was called um it was by Sean P. Griffin, and it's called Tinker Bells and Fairy Queens, the Walt Disney Company from the Inside Out. And that's Tinker Bells, B-E-L-L-E-S. So it's like working on a lot of levels there. Um, yeah. But it, it kind of goes through the history of the Disney Company of like of um, queer coded characters. You, mm-hmm. you can look at like, you know, Captain Hook and Shere Khan and the Mad Hatter and the like all these characters throughout their history that were for most for most of their history villains um and then it goes there's a whole part about um you know how howard ashman and how we kind of started to like kind of reclaim like <laughs> what queer identity meant within the walt disney company and it started with little mermaid mm-hmm. so i know you wanted to talk about the uh, difference between the uh, end of the movie and the end of the the uh, uh musical yeah i think because you know Disney sometimes will um, like correct itself in their um, film, in their uh, live action film adaptations, and then their stage musical adaptations of their animated mm-hmm. properties. They'll sometimes like fix things that might be a little messy or unclear or expand some storylines. And I think it's really interesting about Little Mermaid is that it expands um, Ursula's backstory and Triton's backstory, their brother and sister explicitly in this. And um, depending on the version you saw, because there are three different, like, like three different versions of the musical, um, like Ursula basically basically killed all of their brothers and sisters. Oh my gosh! So and oh, she, geez. so she's rightfully banned. She's a full on murderer, <laughs> and like uh, I think it's like Poseidon gave King Triton the Triton. And gave Ursula the Nautilus shell, which is the shell she keeps on her neck, which is absolutely gigantic and musical for, I don't know, visual purposes. Um, <laughs> for the back row. But they don't, um, the musical the, doesn't have Vanessa as a character. The whole, like, second oh, half of the musical is, like, Who's Eric. Vanessa? Vanessa is who Ursula, Ursula turns, turns into. into. To brown hair. Do they call her Vanessa, or is that in the, I'm pretty in the sure movie? She, I'm pretty sure they refer to her mean, as Vanessa. I mean, I know her. Her name is Vanessa. Vanessa. Yeah. Oh, I, I just don't <laughs> sorry. remember the it, name it Vanessa. It is suspect, though, because we Vanessa is, like, both, such a 90s name. Yeah, um, it, sorry we were no, both sassy to you, just, but I was like, I knew exactly who Vanessa was when he said Vanessa, but I saw, I watched like, Ryan's who's face. Vanessa? And I was like, we need to explain that. I actually don't know if her name is ever, uh, it might be actually the priest, that like, old 
priest might say it, like when they're doing the vows. Oh, when they're getting oh. marrying each other. Um, but anyway, she, Eric is looking for the voice that awoke, that saved him in the first half mm. of the musical. So they have a contest where different princesses from around the world it's like sing. Cinderella with trying on the shoes. Yeah, sing to like place it. And um, obviously Ariel can't sing yet. She she ends up like dancing and he falls, he realizes he's in love with her, blah, blah, blah. But um, so also Ursula doesn't grow up to be gigantic because that's very expensive to do on stage and basically involves the destruction of the Nautilus shell. So where there are some opinions about who has agency at the end of the film. Mm-hmm. As in, like, Eric is the one who ultimately kills Ursula, where the whole movie has been, like, wrapped up between this battle between Ar- uh, Ariel and Ursula. Like, rightfully, <laughs> she Ariel should be the one who ends Ursula. Yeah. Um, but the I think the musical tries to course correct that and say, like, Ariel, she breaks the Nautilus shell and therefore kills Ursula. And she breaks it because she, Ariel, uh, Ursula admits that she's the one who killed Ariel's mother. Oh, not humans as she's so been raised dark. to believe Whoa. wait so why was triton telling her that it was humans or is that just a misconception she he believed that it was humans i guess there was oh a, he didn't know okay i mean oh. it's a, it is literally three lines in a very short scene but um i thought i thought it's very interesting the way they tried to course correct that and i'm so therefore i'm interested to see like then how the live action adaptation yes. is going to handle all all of the things that people have questions yeah. about. yeah well and i don't know if you've listened to our Cinderella that's come out yes it has Mm -hmm. uh the Cinderella live action but we like loved it and felt that it expanded on the story similar to what you're saying that the musical does and that is what I think defines like what a strong and like good Disney live action is from one that like is not so great um in some ways because I feel like if you can expand on that original story and like you said course correct where it's appropriate and um give us the core of the story and the feeling of the story, but change it in a way I think, I think is what makes it interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cinderella is a great example. It's a beautiful, beautiful yeah, movie. Yeah. We loved it. Jeremy, thanks again for uh, taking the time. I know uh, you got places to be, but we will get back to, we will hook back up for the, uh, the villains ranking and yeah, just thanks so much for being here. Yeah. yeah I'm, we- e- I'm eager to hear what you think of little mermaid after watching it listeners it's it's been a while but it is time to take the little mermaid out of the clamshell clamshell (laughs) and put it in the vhs all right see you on the other side listeners listeners we are back and I'm taking a serious tone because I loved this movie as a child. I knew I was going to love this movie. But I wept. I am slightly obsessed. I want to watch it. I want to get in a tradition of watching it all the time. I may have a new favorite villain as an adult. I've always loved Ursula, but I've always stuck tried and true to Maleficent as my one true number one villain. But I... I have so many emotions and feelings and thoughts about this movie. <laughs> it's my new favorite. It's my favorite one we've done. My God, it's 
so good. It's so good. And I mean, yes, the nostalgia is there, but for me, it's so good for so many other reasons without even adding the nostalgia in. Well, I think watching the progression to this point, as opposed to just jumping in and watching it, really made a difference. Yeah. Uh, so I guess we're going to dive. We're going to go. I I know we've, we've had you here for a while. We're going to go. I feel like most of you, if you haven't watched Little Mermaid, you're listening to the podcast. Turn this off. Go watch it. We'll wait. Um, (laughs) we are going to dive right in and, uh. it was a mermaid mm -hmm. joke. (laughs) Uh, and again, we're going to, I'm going to try my best to not be as detailed as I usually am with the plot because there are so many other things that we do want to talk about. Um, when it comes to facts or different things that we really noticed. Uh, So we're going to try to plug those in as well as we're talking about the plot. And so it opens with the shipmates singing, and we're introduced to Eric Grimsby and Eric's dog Max. And I wanted to mention that Grimsby is also the voice of Roger from 101 Dalmatians, and I believe he does a voice in the Jungle Book. I just don't remember which one. He's a wolf in the Jungle Book. Okay. Um, His He might be the father then. He must be the father wolf. I, I can't I, yes it's the only wolf been right yes been, and been right this was his last role I i've believe. been wrong but i've been right <laughs> i believe he passes away i think i read four months after the little mermaid comes out when he was cast as grimsby supposedly he had to tell um the people the powers that be that he were was those other voices they were not aware that he was those voices which i think is a little embarrassing like, as the company of Disney, I feel like you should know your voice actors from previous movies. I don't know what you think about that. Um, well, we talked about it. I don't think this will come out I mean, before Christopher Robin. But that happens in Christopher Robin where they, they're interviewing Brad Garrett for, to be the voice of Eeyore. And he's like, I am the voice of Eeyore. And they're like, yeah, that's what we thought too. And that's why he brought in. He's like, no, literally, I've done the voice of Eeyore before. Yeah. And I mean, I get it. Like, there's a lot going on. But I think if you're going to audition someone for a role... You should kind of see, hey, do they have other animation credits or whatever? But I just found that interesting. So then it says Walt Disney presents. So then a sailor throws one of the fish into the water. And I thought as, you were going to say shoe. Is what I was going to say. Like, oh, what does he throw a shoe in the water? Yeah, and then as the fish swims, then you see the credits for Little Mermaid. He's waving it at Grimsby because Grimsby yes. doesn't believe in mermaids. He's like, it's real, I tell you. Yeah, they're telling the tale. But then that's where we see the, the title sequence. Um, so I thought it was really cool how they did that. They open it with nothing to do with the credits, which we've seen that happen up to this point. And then um, we're introduced to the kingdom and the castle and all the sea creatures and the mer men and women. Folk. Merfolk. Uh, and Sebastian comes in and he comes in and his fanfare is played on a kazoo and it was played by Alan. Um, who did all Alan of, Minkin. Yeah, who did the music. And so I just thought that that was fun because you can very clearly hear it's a kazoo when you're kind of looking for it. And so then all the daughters are introduced. And uh, Jeremy and I were not able to name all the daughters. And I wrote them all down so we could name them. Aquata, Andrina, Arista, Athena, Adela, Alana, mm-hmm. and then Ariel. And of course, when they open the shell... Uh, it's Ariel's big debut. It's like a big deal for Sebastian. He's conducting this, you know, his sea orchestra, and she's missing. She's not there. Mm-hmm. So then we cut to where she is. I want to see a story about the sisters and how they handle, because they all seem 
pretty cool with the idea that they're like a footnote into the song that features Ariel. They're also like really excited for her, it seems like when she's falling in love. Like they're not prominent. We yeah. only see them a handful of times. Not even a handful, like three times. I want to know but... more about the sisters. Do you think do you think that was like her that whole thing was like her sixteenth like her quinceanera almost? I think so, <laughs> yeah. Like... I think that that's how they made it out to be, like cause she's the youngest daughter. Yeah. She's being presented somewhat to the kingdom. Mm-hmm. I mean the kingdom probably know who she is, but yeah, yeah, I think it's that. Because they talk about, like, she's got the the beautiful voice. And as they're, like, doing the fanfare to present her, the lyrics and the song. But just, I mean, what if you went to, you were in a show that was like, my brother James, here he is. <laughs> He's the coolest. I'm going to go. Like, I mean, I, like, love, I love him. So I feel like I would be cheering him on. <laughs> I think you and I have very different approaches to yeah, our siblings. Yeah, I feel there. like I would be the cheer... I am the cheerleader in Like, mine corner. would be like, I'm on my phone, I'm just like, tech, 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 and then I, over my shoulder, I put a thumb, I'm like, Kimberly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, it would be very different for both of us. Uh, so we find out that she's in a shipwreck, and you see that she's an adventurer, and she's very... Um, I think obsessed is kind of the right word here. You know, she's fascinated, maybe is a better word, yeah. with with humans, with, you know, everything that they don't have, you know, and everything that humans do have. And so she's looking through the shipwreck. She comes across a fork and a pipe. We find out their names later. If you, um, uh, if you check out our mailbag episode, there's a theory that this is the shipwreck from Frozen from the parents. So just putting that out there. Yes. Um, and so she tells Flounder to look out for sharks. Uh, Flounder uh, is also delightful. You know, we're introduced to him pretty early on as well. Uh, and then all of a sudden there is a shark. And so a chase kind of ensues here. Um, so they get away from the shark and she finds Scuttle. And so she goes above the water to talk to Scuttle, who is a seagull, who's fantastic. He brings so uh, much lightheartedness and just it's comedy. Voiced by Buddy Hackett. That's right. I knew I knew the voice. I remember like when this came out, that was the one person I knew in this whole thing. Like, yeah. I, I, I still don't know. What else has Pat Carroll done? I don't know off the top of I my head. I feel like we'll I want to ask Jeremy when he comes back. Do you want to look back. it up while I'm talking? Or? Well, real quick, Buddy Hack had a story about him. Apparently, okay. th- th- the story in the making of was kind of one of those stories where I feel like there's more to it. Um, apparently, they came in and they were like, you should do it like this. You should do it like this. And he did a line. And then he goes, can I do it one more time? alone like he was kind of like <laughs> like let me went, do my thing and they said and we let him do it and he did great but it's like they had a very that's like that's how we usually talk to people well, so i guess he never done a voice role before. well also we talked about that with jeremy about how some people really yeah. appreciate the direction and then others kind of so that's a really good example of that happening on this uh production mm-hmm. i also just i love how he's so matter of fact about what things are but he's completely wrong and it's such a good way to play it for comedy because we as humans know what these items are used for right Mm -hmm. so like it's such so good for the audience um i don't know why i said humans i mean pretty much because they they refer to us in the movie i guess that's true uh so the fork is i'm quizzing you uh dingle hopper and what's the pipe It's it's a it's a bonded something snarf flat Yes, a banded bulbous snarf Thank you, flat. Yes. But yeah, you got it. She just refers to it as the snarf flat. But so that's what they're called. Uh, and then as he's saying you can play music with a snarf flat, that's when she remembers she had the concert. And she's like, oh no. So she goes back, rushes to the concert. Uh, and then this is where we're introduced to Flotsam and Jetsam. And we see Ursula in the shadows, and she's got such a good introduction. Well, so already we're looking at how she's adapting 
old stuff from other uh, villains. You've got the Lady Tremaine shadows. Yes. The, like, I think Maleficent might do that. Like, she's... Yeah, she's the best of everything that's come before, and they expand on her so much. Well, I feel like where this is kind of the, just the apex of all... Like, doing the podcast this way, we've seen everything built to this in animation. Mm-hmm. Ursula feels like the culmination of just fine-tuning... Uh, villains up until this point pat carroll like her big thing on wikipedia and i'm just doing she's been in a bunch of tv shows she's a she is an emmy drama desk and grammy award winner and a tony nominee so she's just an actress all over the place um so she also i don't know if this is still the case but for a long time she did she continued to do the voice of ursula in you know cartoons and other things oh cool i think that's her in kingdom hearts oh neat that's mm-hmm. really cool. That's awesome. Um, so I want to talk about how they, how we leave Ursula, and then I want to talk about her movement a little bit here. But it's so good th- because it gets dark and her tentacles go all around her, and then it goes just to her eyes. Mm-hmm. So again, Lady talking Tremaine, about that, yeah. that was how she was introduced to us, and then that's how we, we are left after we leave her, and it's so good. But talking about her movement... Um, and I became obsessed watching Ariel's hair throughout and I always watch hair in, um, especially like Moana's hair is phenomenal. That's mm-hmm. fast forwarding quite a bit, uh, it's in the Disney catalog. Incredibles. You know, I always say that when he puts his hand on Violet's shoulder and her hair moves a little, I'm like, yes. you know how hard that is to do? Yeah. And, and, and if you're also a listener to my other podcast, Craniacs, you know, I often refer to Roz as having mermaid hair yes. in the first few seasons. Um, and so we're going to talk about Ariel and her hair in a little bit, but I, but, but in addition to focusing on Ariel's hair, Ursula's movement and the way her tentacles move and the way her whole body moves and the way she slinks. And it's so fascinating to just focus on that. And I wanted to talk about how that came to be. So Roy uh, pushed Roy Disney pushed for more of an octopus feeling with how she moved. Mm-hmm. And I got this from the Frank and Ollie villain book that mm-hmm. I have. Uh, He had directed several nature films, and one of them was about Mysteries of the Deep. Yeah. And so he suggested to Ruben, who was the head animator for Ursula, we talked about him a little bit earlier, um, and I've got his last name here, Aquino, A-Q-U-I-N-O? I I think it's Aquino. Aquino? Okay. I always mispronounce names. Well, this is, like I said, he's he's actually in the thing on here that I was telling you about that was kind of about studio culture at Disney. Oh, okay. He's He's still there. Now, they didn't say he animated ursula but yeah he was he's yeah still in so there. um he suggested to ruben to study how an octopus moves because he said the muscles aren't where you think they are and <laughs> he used a lot of pat carroll's realistic actions into that and we've talked about that as well but i just wanted to mention that because i think that comes through in the film and mm-hmm. they did a really good job with that. oh yeah just well, so the other thing to talk about the hair in the in the in the octopus tentacles is we have found out, ladies and gentlemen, there is an industry term for our cape drama. Yes. When we talk about the evil queen coming down the stairs and hitting that turn and the cape and the going cape floats and or she when floats down the stairs. Maleficent goes, Listen, fools, and her hair kinda of goes yeah. up and goes down. That is called Overlap. Thank you. I was like I had I wrote it down. It's I called have over it. yeah. overlap. And when they talked about it in the documentary, they went to every single thing. We always go, Look at that cape drama. Yeah. So there we go, the overlap. We're going to continue calling it cape drama because I like it a little better, but there is an industry term. Yes, and her hair <laughs> definitely fits into that category. Her hair, yeah, yeah, yeah. All the way that it was like she moved and then you watch her hair slowly like hit those points behind oh, her. so good. 
So, um, after we leave Ursula, it cuts to Triton and Sebastian. And Sebastian, of course, is being so dramatic. I am obsessed with Sebastian. He's so good. Mm -hmm. And he's being so dramatic here saying, you know, like if this was my big shot and she ruined everything for me and all these things. And this is also where Triton tells her, you know, you're forbidden. You can't go up to the surface because I believe it's Flounder who says we talked to Scuttle. And so he realizes that she went up to the surface. Seagull? Yeah. And tries to really, really impress on her. I don't know if impress is the right word. But he tries to to really let her know, like, this is a more dangerous thing. Like, you're just kind of popping up there. Like, it's very dangerous. Like, you don't realize the danger that comes from this. And he calls humans fish eaters, which we are. I just remembered another role you'll remember uh kenneth mars who did the voice of triton from the guy in in young frankenstein who's like he can't oh, move yes. his hand yeah yeah so yes he was also in the producers as the uh, writer of the play but mm-hmm. anyway uh so this is when sebastian starts talking about how he would raise her you know he'd kind of be very strict with her and he wouldn't let her out of his sight and all these things and then triton gets like this kind of bit of a smirk on his face and he's like well then why don't you watch her uh and then so you know it cuts to ariel in her grotto and so this is where part of your world comes in and we didn't mention this at the beginning so before we go into this scene i do want to talk about the fact that uh they did a testing audience with kids with younger not young children but like I think teenagers. And the first thing we saw, and I think in, in uh, Waking Sleeping Beauty, they talked that the kids were antsy. They go into it a little bit more here. Apparently some kids spilled popcorn and it like annoyed all the other kids at the time. Oh. And they were also sitting right in front of Jeffrey Katzenberg. Got so it. that was why his focus was like, kids were, were sitting yeah, there squirming so during the whole thing. Katzenberg came back and wanted to cut it. And... It became a pretty heated battle with Howard, and I think some others too. But oh, I, Howard the directors, is, yeah, like, like there were other people was... who. It wasn't just Howard, but when I believe you watch the Howard documentary, they say how Howard basically says, "Over my dead body, like yeah. you will not cut this." Um, but it seems like there were more people in Howard's corner to be like, "No, yeah. this is very important." Um, and watching it trying to picture that cut out it's such a it's such an important part of the film we as we mentioned at the beginning not only do you connect with ariel but you find out so much more like one song gives you so much information mm-hmm, mm-hmm. uh and it also i think gives sebastian information his arc doesn't turn yet here but sebastian is starting to understand what ariel's been going through so i think it's so important for many different reasons it was funny in the documentary because they would cut to people and be like oh yeah part of your world and like they're kind of building up to the story and then they cut to jeffrey katzenberg he's like i don't want to talk about this like he's <laughs> clearly embarrassed that he ever wanted to, to cut, to cut it he's like yeah. this is a, no it was a mistake you're right like, yeah and then this is where i wrote the note obsessed with her hair this is where you really see the movement in her hair and you continue to see it through the whole film but it's so good um Sebastian, of course, freaks out, you know, if Triton knew about this place because she has, it's clear she's been collecting for a long time. This grotto is filled with different items from humans, from shipwrecks, from, you know, mm-hmm. whatever she's come across on the, the seafloor. So um, there's a dark version of this movie where it's Ariel's causing sea shipwrecks because that's what mermaids did supposedly like sirens oh, and mermaids yeah. i think in mythology like ariel's like i need more things for my collection <laughs> well what i was saying we talked about it later yes. with ursula was that because at cause the ryan end she like, raises all those those shipwrecks. shipwrecks and i go well, how many ships are 
wrecking just off the coast of this kingdom. And I said to Ryan that Ursula was probably doing it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Ryan was like, well, that means they'd lose half the kingdom. I was like, maybe they were visitors going to the kingdom and they just never arrived. Well, I'm Which assuming it was it also dark. like merchants. Like yeah, the, like, going this, to That's trade. why they only eat fish because like, they're like, the, the ship with the beef never shows up. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, but I love how she her attention is focused back to the ship because it goes over that portal in the, not a portal, the the window in the grotto. What do you call that up at the top? The hole? I think it's just a hole. Which, yeah. Which, which the, the I love the, the scene, but the scene where she goes up and she's singing her song and it's, it's the, the, the blocking, although it's animation of the scene plus the song is just building, building, building. Yeah. And then she gets up and she can't fit through that hole. And she can't get out. And she, but yeah. her hand comes out. She's just it's just slightly out of reach. It's, it's so good. Really good. And I cried. It was emotional. I cried I at it. I didn't. I'm I did. No, I, I definitely got it was it's such an emotional scene and it's done so well. And then as she looks up and sees the sunlight, she sees the shadow of the ship going by. And so that gets her attention to to go find it to see what's going on. Um and we see that there's fireworks and everyone's singing and dancing on the ship. They're celebrating. We find out it's Eric's birthday, mm-hmm. uh, Prince Eric's birthday. And so this is when she falls for Eric. She like very much like emotionally connects with him, sees him, falls for him. Mm-hmm. And I love that Max can always sniff her out. It starts here, but like Max the dog sniffs to try to find her. He's the one who finds her when she washes up on shore. He's the one who like... When um, it's her and Vanessa, you know, yeah. like it's just it's just well, a cool like little fish. bit. I guess that's true. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so Grimsby presents this birthday present to Eric and it's this giant stone statue of Eric. And, and Eric's like, I don't know, Grimsby, for the record, if anybody out there wants to get a giant statue of me, like I will not react this way. I'll be very <laughs> thankful. Uh, but he, this is where we find out that Grimsby is kind of pushing him to get married. And we find out that he's coming back from meeting a princess that he didn't really care for and they're coming back home. So we kind of find a little bit of a backstory of what they're doing out at sea. And then a storm rolls in and they do refer to it as a hurricane here uh, Mm -hmm. very quickly. And the, the sails on the ship winds up catching fire and they hit the rocks and it's kind of just this whole chaotic scene. This is the uh, part, I think they do a really good job of making Eric very likable. Agreed. Like yeah. he seems like a good guy because here it shows him. It shows everyone like pulling things, and Eric's among them, like doing the work. Yeah, like, and he's even helping earlier, people into the robo after they yeah. all fall off the ship. Well, he saves they all Grimsby. Go overboard. Yeah, he goes and he saves Max. Max is still on the burning boat, and he gets yeah. Max off, and then the boat explodes. Mm-hmm. And then that's when Ariel goes for him. Yes, and so um, she goes for him. She rescues him and brings him ashore. And then Scuttle shows up and is asking. She, I think, asks him, "Is he dead?" And Scuttle opens his eyeball. His eyes. It's just a perfect Excuse circle. Me. I always, yeah. I've forgotten that part, but like I remember when I was a kid, I love that part. Just, yeah, <laughs> just staring right at the camera. And then he listens to his heartbeat with his foot. He he's like, like, I don't hear a heartbeat. He's like, I don't hear a heartbeat. And then he wakes up as he kind of hears Ariel singing. And as soon as he wakes up, of course, she goes back into the water, mm-hmm. so he doesn't see her. 
Uh, and now it cuts to Ursula. And I wrote here that the polyps are horrifying. They're horrifying throughout, but this is like our first shot of them. Yes. Like, I would like to see where you see that they're called polyps. Because I, in one of my books, I, I read think, they're called polyps. I think we should continue to call them that. But like, it's just, if we're wrong, I don't care. But it's just great. Just Google what a sea polyp is and see what comes up. I don't want to picture that if it, if it looks anything like the thing in the movie. Um, I, it's going to be in my search history I've, forever. I know I've read I read it because I wrote it down because I was like oh that's what they're called I can't remember where I read it though because I pulled from so many oh these are much lovelier but yeah they're definitely polyps okay uh well that makes me feel better I'll show you a real quick look like they're like this thing oh yeah they're much more beautiful but yeah that's a good thing I was thinking polyps like I had a polyp removed that's what I (laughs) thought you were thinking and I was was like like, no that's not what they're referring to okay um But yeah, so then it cuts back to the sisters and Ariel is singing and it's very clear she's in love. You know, she's very Mm -hmm. sing-songy. She's kind of daydreaming. Um, And Sebastian starts freaking out because he's finding out that um, she's in love and she wants to go back up to see Prince Eric again. And Sebastian's like, no, you, you cannot go back up there, you know. And why would you? Like, it's so much more fun down here. And mm-hmm. then that's where Under the Sea comes in. I love this song. It's so good. Uh, so he tries to encourage her to not see Eric again. And there's so much joy in this song. Mm-hmm. This song is like pure joy. It's so good. All of Howard Ashman's songs, and I guess it's Alan. Alan, Lincoln, yeah, you've got to. But the build is so good. Like, they mm-hmm. all, like, the second uh, verse is like. We're going, like, they do it in Poor and Fortunate Souls. They do it in, in Party of Your World. They do it in this one where by the end you're like, yeah. And it's funny in this one because it's, she's, Flounder she comes. the best yes, part. Yeah, Flounder like, comes to whisper to her. And then it's like, bah, and they're all pointing at where she should be. And she's not and there. And it's such a good scene because all the fish are, like, just kind of barely moving, like, holding yeah. the spot. And they're like, oh. you see, And they all like, just slowly swim away. <laughs> Uh, so but again, I'm not really going to describe this scene because go watch stop it. this podcast and go watch it. And then if come you've back got to the Blu-ray version from, I think, 2012, you can pause it and then you can sing-along. be involved in Krabioke. And uh, listeners, Ryan um, had to step out for a moment. Step out for a moment. And uh, I paused it and got to belt out Poor Unfortunate Souls. So I tried not to sing it when we watched it, but it's next to impossible to mm. not sing these songs while you're watching it. Uh, if you're me, anyway. <laughs> so uh, then Triton is so excited. Triton's kind of sing-songy. Like, he has the flower that Ariel put in his hair earlier in the day. And he's like, I wonder who it could be that she's in love with. Well, I think he's got a gentle side that they show. Yeah. Like, he's very, but I, I like... And, like, he's excited for his daughter. Like, he's mm-hmm, excited mm-hmm. she's in love. And so he summons for the seahorse, uh, who kind of does all the announcements and, um, you know... It, I don't want to say the seahorse is second in command because Sebastian really is, but I guess the seahorse goes and gets people and like yes. delivers messages and whatnot. Um, but he goes to get Sebastian to say, Triton has heard and you need to come right away. And so this happens in so many different movies, so many different television shows where it's the like the miscommunication where mm-hmm. Sebastian thinks he's talking about Ariel saving Eric and he's really talking about her being in love. And so that's basically what plays out here. And he's like, Sebastian, you're keeping something from me. And Sebastian, it doesn't take him long to break down. Yes. He's so like he's he's wound so tightly. He's so nervous. The, the bit and, where he's like, yes, yes, your yeah, majesty. Yes. <laughs> really yeah. Good. He's so nervous and he breaks down and he's very dramatic and he talks about humans 
And then Triton's like, humans? And he's yeah. like, humans? Did I say humans? <sighs> uh, so that all happens. And then we cut to the grotto and Flounder surprises Ariel and the statue that sunk with the ship is mm-hmm. now in the grotto. And Ryan made a very good point. How did tiny little Flounder move that thing, period? I'm assuming he got other fish and other creatures to help him move it. I don't think he moved it. To open the door? It wouldn't even fit in the door. It wouldn't fit anywhere. <laughs> like, <laughs> I guess I guess they could have... Taking it apart and re They could have gone up to the top and dropped it down. She couldn't reach through the thing (laughs) in the song, Tara. How could that statue get through that thing? I don't know. I'm just trying to figure it out. Uh, Story's full of holes. (laughs) So Triton comes in and was unaware of this grotto, did not know any of this existed. And he says he's to be obeyed. And this is where she says, I love him. And that kind of sets Triton off. And he starts destroying everything in the grotto with the Triton. Um, and I like the effect of when the Triton lights up. It happens, obviously, later with Ursula, but I just mm-hmm. kind of like how that looks. Um, and I will say here, the lighting on Triton's face is very similar to Ursula. Like, when he's being cruel, it's very reminiscent of when we see Ursula really intense. I don't know if you noticed that, but, like, yes. the lighting changes on his face. Um, and so I found that really interesting. It was a very villainous scene. Even though he's not the villain. Yes. And so he destroys the statue. Uh, And so he leaves and Ariel is sobbing. And then Flotsam and Jetsam come in. And they have the creepiest voices. Because they're kind of digital Mm -hmm. sounding. And I don't remember their voices being like that weird. I don't know if it's digital. But it is an older actress doing it. Yeah, But it has a, a digital. Do you know what I mean by digital? Like the sound almost sounds like robotic almost yeah, a little maybe. bit. Um, but they basically tell her that, you know, there's someone who can solve all your problems. And when she realizes they're talking about the sea witch, she says, no, you need to go away. And then they throw the face of the statue at her. Yeah, just flick it Just at to be like, are you sure? And they swim away. And then she says, wait. And she follows them to Ursula. And so, uh, Sebastian and Flounder see what's happening. They follow as well. Her lair is so cool. What is it? I what want is the, it made I, it out of? It looks like a skeleton of a fish. Of some monster. Some yeah, like of some prehistoric... like, yeah, sea monster. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's so, I want them to Probably recreate Probably the thing that it. was killing all those, all those ships. ships. I want them to recreate it somehow. I don't know. Well, it might a, be in, in the a, ride. We have to do a ride through the ride. ride. There is yeah. a, on the D, on the Blu-ray a ride through of a different ride they did. And there's a, there's a mm. making of, of like the, the ride that never was. That looked really cool. But yeah, but it's so cool. The colors that they use here mm-hmm. and everything about her layer is awesome. And um, then we see the polyps again and Ariel has to swim <laughs> through them. Why would you put those forefront in your business of, of, Tricking people into doing deals. With I you. think they it be in speaks. The back. I think it speaks to how persuasive she is because Ariel sees them. She like makes eye contact with them, mm-hmm. and even in the song "Poor Unfortunate Soul," she says, "Those who couldn't pay the price." You watch those figures in her cauldron turn into a polyp and ariel still does it if you're like a a leg breaker or something someone doesn't pay on time you don't like display all the pictures of you breaking people's fingers like you're from jersey you know this (laughs) i guess i just think it's a testament to like how persuasive ursula is but yeah i see your point so ursula sits down at her vanity this is very reminiscent of medusa instead Mm -hmm, of taking mm -hmm. makeup off she's putting makeup on and i always remember when she like pushes out whatever's in that clamshell and like puts it on as her lipstick um and then of course the best song 
of all time. Her poor before, unfortunate. Before we hit that, like when she because she puts mousse in her hair or something. Yes, I really like her haircut. Like it's a yes, very cool. Yes, like, I love her haircut. Yeah, I love her neat. hair. Her design all across the board. And as we mentioned earlier, the earlier versions of her design were also really interesting. I like what they decided oh, yeah, yeah. to go with, but she always had a very interesting design quality when they were editing um, mm-hmm. to decide what she finally looks like. And I wrote here with the song, it's perfect. Like, again, <laughs> stop what you're doing and go watch it. Like, I, I almost don't want to, like, talk through it because it's so good and it stands on its own and it's so strong. I do love at one point she shimmies with seaweed. It's like pink yes. seaweed. Uh, and she puts well, it over been, her head. Uh, yeah. Because uh, she's I've a been saint. a saint. Yes. Yeah. Um, and I wrote here again, her tentacle movement. This is where you really see it. Like this is where it showcased even before body language, but, yes. uh, it's showcased really well. And, but this mm-hmm. is where we find out she, Ariel will have three days to get true love's kiss. And mm-hmm. then if that doesn't happen, she will belong to Ursula. Well, one of the things Howard Ashman made a big deal about was he wanted songs to push the story along. And I think this is a good example of it, of we're not stopping down and when we return at the end of the song things are exactly how they are like we learn stuff and sometimes it's a musical number so everyone's like dancing but by the end it's like we it learn something about ariel yeah. we ariel has left in the middle of this like ariel we, has legs by the end of this oh well, i like, mean she ariel has left in the, in the after uh under the sea yes yeah. and this one yeah it's her interaction with ursula is the song yeah so i i, I that's you know why i, I like I don't like musicals where they're like, I'm happy. Let me sing why I'm happy. And then you get to the end. It's like, okay, so the next thing, it feels like all of a sudden someone went in the middle of a story. Just like, what if I decided to just sing a completely different song to you? Like, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's very plot driven, yes. which, and, and I think it's, this song is a great example of that. Also, when they zoom in on her teeth, when she says, your voice. Your voice. And yeah. she can see every individual tooth. You yes. also notice the way they she never. She has that one like snaggle tooth. I noticed that I think as it's a, a child. I think it's but... a fang. Like they're over yeah, here. To, they're yeah. drawing her canines to give her a little bit more of a menacing look. Mm-hmm. But instead yeah. of having just a straight line to delineate her top teeth from her bottom teeth, it jags at But one you point. only see it every so often. Well, when she smiles that little bit, that yeah. wide. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then her eyes when she's casting the spell. So when she's over her oh, the, cauldron the, and like the... She's got Judge Doom eyes. Yeah. And then the colors change on her. She's mm-hmm, all mm-hmm. greens instead of purples. And oh God, it's done so well. Uh, and then the next thing we see is Ariel coming. We see the transformation of Ariel. We see her coming up out of the water and that very famous shot of her like flipping her wet hair back and all that beautiful sparkle. The sparkle on the water, the sparkle on Ariel, it's Mm -hmm. just done so well there. And we hear Eric playing the flute, playing the song that Ariel was singing when um, she saved him. Well, part of your world, yeah. Yes, yeah, sorry. Uh, And then we see Ariel in the water with her legs, and Scuttle sees her, and he's like, something's different. Well, he lands on her knee. Yes, and she's like bobbing her foot to try to get him to figure it out. And then finally, Sebastian breaks down. She has legs, you you idiot. idiot. Uh. So she's trying to figure out how to walk and she's just really awkward. And Sebastian is first saying, you know, we have to, I have to go tell King Triton right away. And of course she looks really like upset and nervous that he's going to go do that. Mm. And then he has this line, you'll just be miserable the rest of your life if I do that. I, I, I like that you see Sebastian come around. Yes, this is where Jer- you see him. Jeremy made a good point about every character having an arc of some sort. And I think you see, except for Flounder, Flounder doesn't really have an arc, but, but, but you see a lot of arcs in this. 
you know, and, and well, I, I, I think like Flounder Sebastian's. does have an arc when he, when she swims, Flounder takes her to swim to the boat. He's usually scared, and he I don't doesn't. Think he has much it's of not an as arc. I. I will. I, yeah, I'm just basically trying to get. Flounder Did you warm an arc. up before that stretch? Uh, yeah, fair <laughs> enough. I agree with you. It's not a strong arc, but I will say a lot of the other characters have very strong, clean arcs, and I love this. You know, Sebastian says, "I'll try to help you," and he says, "I'm becoming a soft shell." He has like a little. Yeah. He has so many good one-liners. Um, so Scuttle dresses her in a sail, and she's like all bunched up. It looks awful. Max sniffs her out. I think she pulls it off, though. Yeah, she looks great because she's fantastic. That could be fantastic. a good cosplay if you want to. That would be a good cosplay, yeah. Um, so Max finds her, uh, and this is where she blows her bangs out of her face. Yes. And you had something you wanted to talk about. Well, that's about something that, that Sherry Stoner did on the day. Like, okay. watching this knowing, I, I, I have to post the, the, the animation of them. Or the, the live action because mm-hmm. it just looks so much like her and she's just so frantic and yeah and, and, and she brings such an energy to this character who has no speaking lines for like almost the rest of the movie. Yeah. It's so good. So good. It's really good. Uh, and Max blows his like fur out of his face and then she kind of does the same thing. Uh, and then Eric says, Eric thinks it's her. And then when he realizes she can't talk, he's like, oh, you're not the girl I'm looking for, but I'll help you. And we both said Not once here, did they give her a notepad and a pencil. Right? I'm well, who knows if she could write, but... <laughs> she just drops, I like, mean, she signs her name bloop, on the... Con- bloop, 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 she signs her name on the contract, Fair so enough. she must be yes. able to read and write. But um, we said here about Eric that, like, he is just a kind soul. Like, he didn't have to help her. She's a complete stranger. Like, yeah, I it's think... It's not... He, he kind of makes the He's not disappointed there. that she's not... The dream woman, he's immediately like, oh, are you okay? Like, yeah, and he he doesn't just dismiss her because he's not who she's he's mm-hmm. looking for. Um, so then she's in the bathtub, and I love just watching her getting washed up. And is it Carlotta? I think so. Carlotta, she's kind of the... She's a servant of some kind, but she does a little bit of everything at the house. Uh, and she's like, I'll just wash this for you. And it's the sale. Uh, and so then we go into the laundry and Sebastian was in the, in there. And so he's like getting on the washboard and he's going like, da, 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 and like all that. It's another comedic bit. I don't know why, but there's a part where he's getting passed along. He goes, madam, like he yes. just tries to get someone's attention. And it made me laugh so hard. Yeah. I don't know why. Uh, and then they throw the laundry, they shake it out to dry. And then that's how he gets thrown into the kitchen. And so we will meet Chef Louis shortly. The other uh, villain of this piece. Yes. But that's how he gets thrown into the kitchen. So then she comes downstairs in this pink dress. And I did just want to talk briefly. Let me go back to my notes. Uh, this pink dress is said to, uh, incorporate details from all the other princesses that have come before her. And so I just wanted to share that. Uh, the puffy sleeves with the diamond designs are similar to Snow White. The light pink color uh, is reminiscent to Cinderella's mother's dress. I think her mother's dress is a little bit more brighter of a pink, but mm-hmm. the idea of it being that pink color, uh, the pink and white. The full skirt and the draping, they say, is Cinderella's ball gown. Uh, and then the off-the-shoulder neckline and the long pointed sleeves is Sleeping Beauty's dress mm-hmm. at the end. So... Um, you know, I think they're little touches, but I think you can kind of see the influence from some of the other dresses that have come before. So she comes. They have dinner. At dinner, she starts, com- she sees a, a dingle hopper and immediately starts trying to comb her hair. Yes. And she's and- so excited when she sees it and they kind of look at her yeah. and then she embarrassingly puts it down. 
And then she's excited to see the pipe that Grimsby has. And then she blows on it and all the tobacco and smoke come out and Eric laughs. And they comment on how he hasn't laughed in months. Mm -hmm. So we also realize, even though the plot moves quickly with poor unfortunate souls. Yeah, I wonder. that, That piece, I'm like... Was has he been moping around for months, or is he just like disappointed that he keeps meeting princesses he doesn't care for? I don't know. It could be either one, I guess. Yeah, it's, I think it's yeah. just yeah. So then we cut back to the kitchen. Yes, and, and we get the best song because the this. chef is serving stuffed crab. We yes. find out, and we cut to the chef, and it's Chef Louis, and his song is so good. I have always loved this song. It's one time so I made Tara what years ago. I made her a. A villain's playlist. A villain soundtrack because honestly, there isn't really a great one out there. Like, there's always one that has a couple of the songs on there, mm-hmm. but Ryan did some deep dives and there, yeah, it's a really good. We'll have to, I have it still, so we'll have <laughs> to create a Spotify playlist of it. I don't know that everything on there is on Spotify. Yeah, we'll have to see, but, um, um but it's Les really Poissons, Les Poissons, Les Poissons is one I, uh, put on there. It's my favorite. I've always loved this scene. It's this wacky, Warner Brothers, yes. Roadrunner, like Tom and Jerry mm-hmm. moment in the middle of this movie. We'll go ahead and just say it's hilarious. He. Zutalor. He I just wanted to I say that. I have missed one. I have missed one. And, and then they plays the can can yeah, after so that. And that's the him. Warner Brothers. Yeah. He gets. He destroys the kitchen and the, uh, Carlota comes in and is like, Louis, and then takes the plate on which, when she brings it back, Sebastian's on it. On and, Grimsby's plate. On Grimsby's. And like. Uh, Ariel starts like waving him over to get under like they have like a, a dish. Yeah, a, and he, what is that a, called? A clo- uh, serving tray, a serving. A, a, but the a cloche. <laughs> you might be cloche. <laughs> I think that's what they're called. <laughs> I don't know. Um. Uh. But yeah, that was another scene that they improved a bunch of different ways with uh, they, like how fast she did it and then looked at him like very innocently. Yeah, it's really good. Uh, and so. Uh, then we cut to the evening and she's getting ready for bed and she's kind of like dreamily like watching Eric from the window mm-hmm. and he's playing with Max and then Sebastian's like we need to get him to kiss you like time is is like getting slim here and he's trying to teach her he's like you have to bat your eyes and then he's got these long eyelashes and you've got to pucker up your lips and then she's fallen asleep and you know he kind of curls up next to her like a dog would like he sleeps on her pillow next to her and this is where he he gets on the bed. I remember, I remember yeah. him blowing out the candle. Yeah, he blows remember, out yeah. the candle, and then I think he gets on the bed. Yeah. Um, but he takes such good care of her, uh, and I just think you know we talked about his arc and how he switches from like being very strict with her and and wanting her to follow mm-hmm. what Triton says to to doing what he thinks is best for her and 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 helping her achieve that, and it's just such a tender moment. Um, and so we cut quickly back to Triton. Everybody's looking for Ariel. So now Triton's everybody knows. feeling remorse for yeah, what Yeah, he he's feeling very guilty about it. And then uh, they take the carriage into town the next day. And Eric this and is Ariel. the outfit that I think is her best non, like, being a mermaid. I guess she doesn't really have an outfit as a mermaid. She just yeah. has her shells. Yeah. Uh, uh, and I should mention her clamshells, uh, they wanted her to stand out not only with the red hair, but all of her other sisters' clamshells match the color of their tail. So Ariel's is the only one that is different. So that kind of sets her apart as well. Um, but yeah, I love this outfit that she wears. The blues with the bow in her hair. Uh, and so they're walking around the kingdom. And, you know, she pulls 
Uh, there's like hand puppets and she pulls one of the puppets off the hand and then the hand's like looking for it. They dance. They, yeah. she, gives her, she buys a bunch of ranch. She buys like, what is it? Bread, shoes, and a hat. Yeah. And then she takes the reins of the carriage and they like go over this like cliff and then he like relaxes. He puts his arms behind him once she gets yeah. the hang of it. Uh, and this is where I said, this is the kingdom I would want to live in. This Agreed. is the king because it's by the sea. Seafood all the time. Yeah. Uh, it just seems like a very jolly, happy place. Mm-hmm. Like everybody seems. Maybe we need to go to Denmark. Maybe. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so then it cuts to them in the boat, uh, and they're in the rowboat and Scuttle starts Here's trying a to sing. Why were they going out to that rowboat if he wasn't thinking of like making a move on her like you don't take a woman on a romantic ro- like rowboat just for like i guess i don't know if maybe he might have been he, doing a tour he like, might have been doing like a sightseeing tour and then like because the fish kind maybe. of like move the boat That's throughout kiss the girl but yeah so scuttle starts trying to sing to woo them and it is not great Mm-mm. it's wah 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 uh and although by the end of kiss the girls all the animals in. are going yeah like, but, and scuttle's voice fits in there but yes. eric says someone should put that bird out of its misery <laughs> uh and then sebastian says nothing's done right unless you do it yourself like he gets all yeah. huffy and he goes down and he breaks off like a piece of seagrass uh into a baton and then kiss the girl happens and it's it's gonna be really hard for me to choose a favorite song because this I like one this, is so good. I like as this well. one a lot. We talked about it during it that it sound by the end it sounds like a a noisy natural night kiss in like kiss the kiss swamp kiss or the Everglades. Yeah. Which it kind of is this feeling. I said they have flamingos in whatever kingdom this is, which would yeah. make it I think Florida. But yeah. uh, but it's so good. It's another one. Stop the podcast. Go watch it. It's yeah. great. It's so good. I want to hear from someone who's gotten this far and they haven't watched the movie yet. Yeah. Um. Oh God, it's so good. I love it and I. It's the the like background the la wah 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 wah. Did nice. that sound good? If it didn't sound good, please oh, cut it I'm out. I'm keeping it in. Cool, cool. <laughs> you can can you take out if that didn't sound good or is it too close? Oh no, to this it? is all going in. This is great, all, great. It's all golden. Great. This is what the people want, Tara. <laughs> so anyway, uh, Flotsam and Jetsam at the end, they're right about to kiss. They're it's about to happen. They flip the boat over, mm-hmm. and then Ursula. Th- we should also mention the design of Flotsam and, and Jetsam. They both have one yellow eye, and it appears that that's how Ursula can kind of like look to see yes, what's going on. Yes, she can on. look through the other eye. Yeah, of each through one. the other eye of each one, and so that's when she realizes I need to do something this is like getting too close and her, cha- her transformation is kind of horrifying when mm-hmm. she transforms into vanessa vanessa uh and we confirmed it it is vanessa and as jeremy mentioned they only say her name once and it's during the wedding the when she's getting married um so grimsby we also were like team grimsby for many for several reasons but he's trying to get eric to see that, like, Ariel, look, Ariel's a really nice girl. Like, instead of, like, trying to find some mystery girl that you don't even know exists, like, here's a very sweet girl in front of you. Like, he doesn't seem to care that she's a princess, and he's trying to just talk Eric into, like, maybe she's the one that you should be spending your life with and focusing your time on. So it was just kind of another, like, tender moment there. And as he's kind of seeing what Grimsby's saying, he then hears Ariel's voice in the distance and it's Vanessa walking on the shore mm-hmm. with um, the shell. And, and he gets bewitched. He, yeah, he gets bewitched, and we kind of see that happen. And then Scuttle, the next morning, wakes up Ariel and says, Oh my gosh, we did it, we did it. And he's so excited. He's like, mm-hmm. everyone in the kingdom's talking about it. He's getting married today. And so Ariel seems very excited, thinking it's her. 
And Sebastian seems confused and I think also a little bit like, I don't think this is what we think it is. And so she goes downstairs and she sees that it's Vanessa um, and that, you know, they're getting married. And so she's very upset. She runs back to her room uh, and then it cuts to the wedding ship. We find out that they're going to get married at sunset. And that's when that's the amount of time she has. So Ariel's crying at the dock. And so Scuttle goes to fly to see what's going on. And that's when he sees that Vanessa, he sees the reflection. It's actually Ursula. So he comes back. She's and, she's still being voiced by Jodie Benson, though. Yeah, it's and it's, voice. it's really good the way yeah. she does it there. And she's like, I'm gonna, but she sounds like. Sounds kinda, like yeah. Ariel, but like has this evil spin on it. And so Scuttle trying to tell them what's going on. And he's like Watch. in panic the witch. mode. The witch is watching. Yeah, and he's slamming Sebastian down on the dock to tell him. And they finally get what's going on. And Sebastian's like, Triton needs to know about this. Flounder, you take Ariel to the boat. Scuttle, you have to cause a distraction. And Scuttle gets all the birds. And we noticed, I think, a lot of the sea creatures from the Kiss seals, the Girl. The seals, yeah. Yeah, because the seals wind up on the boat. And I love the priest. He's not in it very long, but he's so short and he's on like a box. Um, and as she's walking down the aisle, as Vanessa's walking down the aisle, she kicks Max in the face yep. with her heel. Yep. Cause Max is like Boo. growling at her. Boo. Yeah. And then the birds start dive bombing. All the animals are up on the boat. It's like all this chaos. Uh, and as this is all happening, Ariel is able to get there, get to the ship. And then the shell breaks. And so she gets her voice back. And so Eric is no longer bewitched. He realizes that Ariel is the girl with the voice. They're about to kiss and the sun has set. Uh, and then Ursula, her transforming back is also very terrifying. Like her tentacles mm-hmm. ripping out of that dress. And she takes Ariel back that's, under That's the how sea. you feel after you've eaten in your wedding dress. Yes. <laughs> you've no, eaten too much. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so she takes her back under the sea. Triton shows up. Eric goes after her. Uh, and basically, Ursula's plan all along is Ariel was bait. Yeah, is leverage. Yeah, Ariel was leverage to be like, what I, what I really want is you, Triton. So if you'll take her place. And so he signs the contract. He becomes a polyp. He's so sad uh, as a polyp. And like the crown is around him. She puts on the crown. She gets the Triton. You know, we realize she's gotten kind of what she wants. She wants to be able to control everything about the sea. And Ariel in this moment goes right for Ursula. Like she is not afraid of her. She has every right at this point in time to be horrified of Ursula. And when she sees what she does to her father, she immediately goes at her. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, Eric hits her, I guess with a harpoon. Yes. Hits uh, Ursula. I love when she gets hit. She looks at him. He's like floating there. Like he had to swim down. Yeah. That was not easy for a dude. Um, And so she gets the Triton. She tries to hit. Eric and she winds up missing and hits Flotsam and Jetsam and I do not remember them <laughs> dying and they go into like sea dust. Oh sea no. Fall, like no! No, 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 no. It's little pieces of eel. Yeah. Like you see their eyeball is one of oh, them. Oh, you do? Yes. Oh, I, I didn't Go back see and that. watch it. That's why I went, oh God. <laughs> yeah. Like I don't remember that. So that's, that's pretty dark. It happens quick, but it happens. And then this is where she becomes giant. And I mm-hmm. will say, Ryan referenced Kingdom Hearts. I have not finished Kingdom Hearts. I need to get back on that journey, but you Are beat you on Ursula. I've beaten her, but you okay. beat her once normal size and then you have to beat her again as a giant and she is like 
stupid hard as a giant, but that's just a side note. So she becomes a giant. She creates this whirlpool and Ariel is now trapped at the bottom of the whirlpool. And as she's bringing up all the, the shipwrecks from the bottom of the ocean, Eric gets on one. And so he winds up steering the ship and the mast, the mast of the ship into her. And you see it go through to the other side. Yeah. It's a pretty horrific death. She's like electrified. Like, and you see like her bones and there's, it's very horrifying. Her yep. death is pretty intense. Uh, and then the positive side is all the polyps come back to people. You know, when Ursula dies, her magic is kind of all undone. Yeah. So um, that's kind of the, the positive bit there. And then it cuts to Triton and Sebastian talking and I sobbed here. <laughs> I cried uh, about how, you know, there's only one thing left for me to do and I'm really going to miss her. And so Triton gives her legs. And this, this was the point. scene that Howard Ashman rewrote. Yes. And I think, I think it's the, per, uh, like, it, I, I don't know. I don't yes. have words. Like I was so emotional during that scene. So it was definitely the well, right it was, choice. It was daddy stuff. So it, that's a weird way to say that. <laughs> dad, dad, I like father daughter relationship sorry. stuff. It was, it was, it, it was, was daddy stuff. Daddy. No, uh, well. I get very emotional during father daughter relationship stuff. If anybody knows me, I have a close relationship with my father. So that's probably part of it. Um, but it cuts to the wedding and we see that the chef sees Sebastian and starts chasing him. And Sebastian kind of gets his triumph here because he knocks something into the chef's mouth and all of his teeth fall out. Oh, gross. Uh, and then like, cause you see the outline of the gum. Yeah. And then we talked about this at the end, but Triton kind of comes up to the boat, to the ship hugs Ariel and then gives her the rainbow as kind of like, here's my blessing. Not only because he does transform her, but I think then that he gives his blessing. But yes. transforming her is to make her happy. He's right? also saying it's okay for Pete to be gay. <laughs> so, um, Triton says trans rights. <laughs> yes. Uh, but that's it guys. That's how it ends. And, I just, we've said it probably eight times, but go watch it. Even yeah. if you've seen it. I, now, I really think it deserves a rewatch. Now, as I said earlier, we, I, or at least I did when we were coming up with these questions, uh, Little Mermaid is, is the, 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 the benchmark. Mm-hmm. So, I, to be honest, most of these are going to be all like, they were great, they were great, they yeah, were great, because yeah, yeah. it's kind of done around that. But the Princess Ariel, um, wonderful. like She's so great, good. Well-designed, we- like... Up until the very, like, so I always used to be like, she has no agency at the end. She has agency. I just, I would have liked it if the focus had been Ursula trying to kill Eric and then Ariel does something to defeat Ursula. Yes. That's it. That's my one, like, Yeah, and we talked about, about that movie. they kind of correct that with the musical, mm-hmm. which I think is deserved. But she has the strongest agency of any princess up to this point. Wouldn't you agree? Yes. She is so strong on her own and just such a a strong i think female character to look up to if very you're a child. curious and yeah and, and and you know up for adventure and exploring yeah. and and brave yeah. yeah um how was the prince i will say prince eric i don't know why this was used to be my like what i went to when i went for like boring but I gotta say, after this, I, I I don't think he has much of like an interesting. He's not like it's not like we're gonna get a Breaking Bad series with Eric, right? Yeah. He's not like a depth character full of depth. 
But he's not just a good-looking guy that she falls in love with. Like, he's kind. They give you reasons for it to be okay. You know, it's not Prince Charming, either Prince Charming, where it's just like, oh, look at that guy. It's, mm-hmm. he's kind. She He falls for her based on who she is. She doesn't change who she is. In fact, she's a little less than who she is because she can't communicate, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Not less, but you know, she's... She's missing something to be able to connect, and he still is like, and they're and they're still able to connect yes. even with that and being he's, the case. And he's you know, not just good looking. He's something I think to uh, you know for a story that is I'm going to fall in love with this guy in one day. He was more interested than just like he's a hunk. Yeah, and I think the kindness is really important. The fact that he does care for her and take her in, and you mm-hmm. know, I think yeah, I really like him. How were the sidekicks? Fantastic. Yeah, I think Sebastian. Sebastian was is. Was- Wonderful. Amazing. Besides Ursula, Sebastian is like one of my favorite parts. I love Sebastian. I love Ursula, but I've like fallen in love with Ariel. I mean, I liked Ariel as a child, but I feel like I always really yeah. was into the villains and I totally fell for everyone all over again in this film. Flotsam and Jetsam were a little better than I remember them. I still think there's better. I, yeah, I think there's better like henchmen out there for villains, but I think. I'm not saying they're bad. They're just not super interesting. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Flounder, I think, plays kind of a fun role. He's, you know, I think Sebastian has more focus than Flounder does, but... Flounder's fine. Yeah. Uh, Scuttle, I remember being like, I don't remember, like, like I remember as a kid I liked Scuttle, and I didn't think he would hold up, and I thought he was really funny this Yeah, time. I laughed a lot at Scuttle and Sebastian. I think that's kind of the point. They have a lot of the funny lines. Yeah, the I think they parts. have three because there's such a large portion of this movie where they have to do the communicating for Ariel to the audience. Yes, and they need somebody who can be on land yeah. as well as the ones in the water. Exactly. So, yeah. Um, and you only get to pick one. I don't, you I You only I get can't. to pick one. I one. You have to pick one. Or the, or the podcast is over. What is your favorite musical number? Yours is Les Poissons. 100%. Do I think that's the best song? No. It is my favorite because it is... Just... I have to say Poor Unfortunate Souls. Yeah. I have to. And you're but... not. And by that you're saying that that's the best song and anyone who doesn't like the other ones is dumb. Absolutely not. Me. Because my favorite songs are Kiss the Girl, Under the Sea, Poor Unfortunate Souls, and Les Poissons. So basically I... all of the songs. Well, the interesting thing is there's like two other songs. There's that sea shanty at the beginning. And then there's I the liked like... that sea shanty, by the way. It there was are... kind of a fun way to open it, I thought. Well, it was interesting because I remember it when I we were approaching this, I went, oh, we've got those two very dumb songs at the beginning and they're fine like for throwaway songs that no one really remembers they're decent songs yeah well and i think folks do remember the song with announcing all the princesses because putting it to a melody it's easier to remember their names right if anybody out there actually knows their names honestly and earnestly without looking knew their names or listening to us i will i will send you a nice note just or do something <laughs> let us know there's no way anyone out there's like oh it's a quad arena yeah but okay uh does it hold up female character agency i think we've covered that i yeah. think she's a great uh female character she's the strongest woman uh we've had up to this point don't you think mm, i you know as far as princesses go i think she stretches what it means to be a princess or just a woman in these movies. Yeah. Because previously it's like, I think, you know... I'm not saying it's the best example of it, but I think up to this point, yeah, I agreed. think she is... Uh, drinking and smoking, there's some pipe jokes. Uh, yeah, but very little. Yeah. Uh, ethnic representation. There is a blackfish 
joke in the that like under kind the of sea. has that a soul was, singing moment. That, it's very the quick. Duke of Soul. I think is supposed yeah. to look like somebody, and it's they're both kind of mm. yeah. Um, we now one of the things we talked about that I kept asking is before this is I asked uh, Tara is Sebastian racist? I don't think he is, and let me explain why. He has a Jamaican accent. He has a very thick Jamaican accent. I think Jamaican he's a Jamaican accent. crab. Right. A but there's Caribbean nothing in there crab. to be like, he doesn't have like, he's not a Jamaican stereotype. He just, all, everything in there is nothing leading you towards like. A, I think that that's where he grew up and he just floated and yes. found his way to Triton. I, he's not a real person, Tara. What I'm talking about <laughs> is a representation in this yes, fictional movie. I'm sorry. And uh, I yes. don't think they do anything to be like, because he plays Calypso music. And I think that's kind of why they decided to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think all of the times that I imitated his voice during this podcast were probably racist, and probably. I apologize for that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that that maybe crosses the line, but um, um, I don't see it that way. But again, listeners, if you feel differently, we'd I'd love like to for hear someone who is maybe has that background to kind of yeah. help us out there. But I, I, I think it's more of just people, a bunch of white people imitating him. That I went, this feels wrong. But when you see it in actuality, I don't think it is. Yeah, uh, guns and firearms. He throws a harpoon. Hmm. Nothing much. Uh, yeah, so guys, we're going to get back on the line with Jeremy, and we'll be right back for our villain ranking. All right, guys, so we're back, and Jeremy's back with us, too. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I usually point, and I can't point. Oh, you. I'm there. That's there fine. You did great. <laughs> it's All too right. late. Um, but we are back. We have explained the infallible scientific villain ranking him. But I actually wanted to approach uh, Jeremy with a question. I asked Tara this during um, the viewing, but I didn't ask her on the podcast, so you can answer as well. Okay. Is Eric a hunk? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I said that I didn't. I don't remember having a crush on him as a child, but like he's very good looking. Like, I, he's very I, easy on the eyes, and I like. I like dark hair and blue eyes because I feel like you Excuse don't see that. Excuse me? What I'm saying is you don't see those. <laughs> Obviously, you don't have that, but you don't see those traits in a woman or a man. I like like black hair with blue eyes because it's unique. You don't usually see that, I think, as often. I, I asked because I feel like growing up, I knew a lot of kids who were girls who were like, ooh, Eric, Prince Eric. And then it's like the joke, like whenever a comedian or someone makes a joke about a Disney prince that's like our age. It's mm-hmm. Prince Eric. Oh, that's funny. oh, I'm a, I'm more of a I, Prince Philip kind of person. I like he. Oh, really? He's very handsome. Yeah. And I remember Jeremy used to make fun of me for having a crush on John Smith, who's like the plainest. Oh my god. <laughs> oh, I think <laughs> now, but as an adult, I think he's very sexy. Yeah, and unfortunately, <laughs> he has a voice of someone who has gone a, off the rails. But... A crazy person. <laughs> I think the the current computer animated ones are giving some of these guys a run for their money too so but but mm. i think yes. eric is a pretty solid i just wanted to get an opinion on that before <laughs> we move forward so uh listeners you may be telling yourself surely they're going to do ursula and indeed we will but before we get to ursula i was gonna say yeah we need to do the other we one need first. to address the fact that this movie has two villains the mm-hmm. first one being chef louis so uh let's go uh for our first category for chef louis frightening I mean, I think he's got some points there because when they show everything in there, Sebastian is terrified. Yeah. And like the way he like goes to chop him up with that knife. And he's kind of crazy looking. In action, I think he's frightening. But 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 if I were to just encounter him, I wouldn't be afraid. Well, that's because you're not a a crab. crab. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to give him a four. A four? I'm kind of surprised, but 
Is a four too high? You can give him whatever you want. I'm giving him a three. I was gonna, I'm gonna give him a three as well. Okay. He's like a neutral frightening. I'm gonna give him a three. No, nope, right, you, you still have, four. No, you're gonna keep me on four. Because I, I feel, feel like, I feel like too often going, we just all agree, and I'd love I'm, to see. Okay, I'm gonna stay with a four because I'm going off of how scared Sebastian is. Yes. Throughout. Okay. Like I'll he's give him ter- that. he's like petrified. You're uh, <laughs> empathizing with Sebastian. I am. I totally am. Uh, funny. I think he's a four or a five, maybe. I love Jeff Louis. It's so. What's your number? <sighs> you guys keep going. I'll think about it. What's your number for him? Uh, I don't think he's funny, but I think, um, like, <laughs> intellectually understand that he's funny. So I will yeah. give him a four as well. Now, now do you want to do that? Because think... I think, should it be objective or should it be subjective? I mean, it's his number. He can. You can do whatever you want, yeah. Jeremy. I just want to give you I think he's question. on paper funny, but, like, I don't find him funny. Yeah. Okay. My other question is, we talked about Sebastian with a Jamaican accent. We never addressed Chef Louis and his French accent. Because I don't, I think there's a difference between a white European cultural bias versus a black Caribbean. Fair, uh, agreed. Yes. I just wanted to yes. put that out there, but yeah. um, I'm going to give him a four. Uh, plus, you know, funny. you know, the Jenkins motto is you can make fun of the French all you want. I know, there ain't the nothing Jenkins wrong don't with like that. The French. Mm-hmm. We have French. a long history. Nope. <laughs> uh, fierce. Wait, what was your number? You never gave <laughs> it? I, I gave a four. Okay. Um, fierce. I think he wishes he was, but I don't think he very He's much... also clumsy. Like, look at that kitchen after when Coletta comes in to get the food. Yeah, like he's losing it. Yeah. Oh, lady, got ladies. Lady, Collar picked recording. up. Um, I'm going to give him a one. I don't think he's fierce at all. I think he lacks fierceness. Yeah. <laughs> so I would say one is generous. Yeah. I am giving him a two because I think when he starts off and he's like, "Mm -hmm," and he's doing that, I think that's a little, he's trying to get in there. All right. It's a soft two, but there it is. Uh, Effective. I give him a one because he never, the whole point of it is that he never catches Sebastian. He ruins his whole kitchen. And Sebastian winds up getting him back in the end. Like he never gets him, even at the end on the wedding. Yes. Yeah. So he's he's a one. He's Wiley Coyote. His one goal, the, the thing that makes him funny is his ineffectiveness. Yeah, I see that. Yeah. Jeremy? Also a one. Not great. <laughs> <laughs> I have nothing else uh, to say about it. <laughs> design. I gotta be honest, I put him at a two or a three. Like, I don't think, I think I, I like him, but he's just, like, when they get close up on him, he looks kind of weird. Yeah. I the, the one part that I thought was cool about him is, like, it's kind of gross, but when each individual tooth falls out... <laughs> When Sebastian hits him in the face, but I don't know if that's enough to give him a two. Okay, so you want to give him a one? I think so. Like, I'm not super impressed with his design. I mean, he just looks like a chef. Yeah, I think I'm, I'm on a one. I don't. I don't think he feels of the world to me. Oh, that's wise. a very that's, interesting yeah, point. Yeah, that's a, a good way to look at. I mean, I'm, I'm gonna full descri- full honesty. I don't like this whole sequence. I never have. That's <laughs> my favorite part. And I just like, no. I feel like it always was like, it always like pulled me out. Well, yeah. If you're I into the see, Disney yeah. of it all, basically it's well, like, would world, you like a Warner Brothers short in exactly. the middle of your Disney And the movie? world building of it. I never really looked at it in that lens, but saying how he, does it fit into the well, world? Well, so Jeremy, I think that means the next question should be for you. What's your go away heat on Chef Louis? If, if whenever you saw it, you're like, oh, this part. So that would be five. Would be the most go away in it. Yeah. Like, yeah, I don't, I yes. don't care about him at all. <laughs> okay. Like even when he comes back well, later, no, no, no. I'm like, there's go a diff- away. There's a, diff- 
Yes, go away. Yes. There's a difference between not caring about him and wanting him off the screen. Yeah, that's hilarious. Tara, what do you think? Um, I I really like his song a lot. I I love the song, mm-hmm. but so I guess I'll give him a two. Okay. I, he has no go away heat with me. I love him. I know you do. I love this part. I will say I love the part more than I love the character. So I'm going to give him a one on go away heat. I don't think I'm going to give him a huge yes factor, but let's jump into that. My okay. yes factor for him is, I mean, I might be a four for me because I'm like, this scene. That's fine. Um, but I think I'm going to give it, I'm going to give it a three just because, no, I'm going to give it a four because I got, I Follow think. Follow your heart. Because two things. One, whenever this scene comes on, I'm like, yeah, because I came you earlier. You got really excited. I went, oh, this scene's coming up. I thought it was later in the movie. Yeah. And I also think Jeremy's going to help. Balance <laughs> it balance out. Balance me out. Yeah. <laughs> So what you're doing a four? Yes. I'm going to do, I love singing this song. Like you put this song on, I know all the words and I do really love the, this song. The song is part of it, but the song is not it's the not whole It's not all of it. it. So I'm going to give it a two for that. Because okay. it's really, for me, it's the song more okay. than it is like the actual scene. I would be willing to bet if Jeremy wasn't here, you'd give it a three. Maybe, but <laughs> yeah. I, I am on Tara's side. I do think the song is fun. I think it has like very witty lyrics. Yeah. So I would, I can, I'll be generous and give it a two. So that puts Chef Louis at a sixteen point three, which I think is. Where does he fall on the list of everyone? Well, he doesn't beat King John, and that's all that matters to I me. Know, can can I also Ryan? push back on something? Yes. Sure. I don't think he's a villain. I think he's an obstacle. <laughs> mm, I think he's a villain to Sebastian. I don't think he's. A yeah, villain but to who's the, the who's the protagonist of the movie? Right, but we said the sheriff of Nottingham is a villain, and I don't think I think he was more of the villain for, uh, for uh, Little John than he was Robin. Hood. I think when you look and at we, the next few films, not the next, like if you skip ahead, he feels to me like the pe- people who go to like the Snuggly Duckling Entangled, like they're not villains. They have a musical number. They're an obstacle that the protagonist has to get over or the characters have to get over and then they come back later so potentially i felt the shark was more of the the obstacle they had to get i think over. they're both obstacles hmm. well you can start your own podcast <laughs> and, uh... <laughs> i will say i can see it both ways but i ryan and i did come to this decision that he was a villain but i can see that he's also an obstacle i just don't see him in i don't see him in phantasmic like in, 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 in or well, anything like that hold on do you see aunt sarah from lady and the tramp in phantasmic anytime soon this is true this is true but yeah. we we have a very low bar for villains on this podcast we do. i will say we try to we try to tease it out fairly um, well but just so everyone knows he got a 16.3 that puts him below honest john but above jenner from secret of nem oh okay just by a little bit all right and again now the, queen. Now, now the one that we can't possibly go say enough about so ursula so I, let's uh, start with frightening well i also want just want to share with jeremy that like i had a confession at the beginning of our recording that i've always been like ride or die maleficent like my favorite villain and re-watching this as an adult i think i have changed my mind on who my favorite like she is i mean i've always loved ursula but as an adult like re-watching both of the films somewhat close together like as much as i love how intensely evil maleficent is maleficent from the f- animated film Yes, 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 yes. Um, and I love, I'm still obsessed with Maleficent from the animated film, but it's like a really close, a closer call for me, I think, as an adult, because Ursula, like, checks 
literally every box. Like, she's so good. She's also, like, has, like, as I said earlier, like, a very clear arc. She has a want. Like, she, like, as, like, when you, when you pick apart Maleficent more, you're like, oh, but you're ultimately just mad about not having an invitation. The given circumstances of the animated film. But, like, I do, I mean, I love Maleficent, but I agree that Ursula is a more fulfilling kind of villain. (laughs) Yes, yeah. It was a really interesting, like, rewatch for me. Because I've always been obsessed with both of them, but, like, it was really interesting to, like, compare them in a different way. But, so we're starting with Frightening. Yes. A five. Okay. Like, let's just talk about her death scene and, like, when she's a giant. And that's even, like, but even her entrance, we talked about how she's in the shadows and the way it, like, closes out and it's just her eyes at the end. Like, there's, in every scene, there's something she does that's unsettling. Like, <laughs> <laughs> so she's a five for me. What do you think, Jeremy? I'm a think one with a five as well. I think she's, there's also something, like, really untrustworthy of her the entire time like you don't know if she's unsettling yeah like if she's gonna snap and every scene she's doing something that is like a little bit crazier yeah like even from from like eating the shrimps to like looking at the polyps like she's always like even though she's doing something funny there's something menacing about everything Mm -hmm. she does can can we talk real quick about character design on the shrimp and on sebastian because i was talking about that like sebastian obviously looks like a crab but also crabs heads don't like come out of their shell like, like that at all like yeah that was such an interesting choice they made to do that to to give him a full face that came all the way out anyway no i agree i remember actually not long ago <laughs> like looking up being like crabs sebastian like trying to find like if there was a crab <laughs> that like, stuck <laughs> was yeah. similar, like but that. he is much more yeah. like a turtle yeah, yeah a turtle or a well, not even the, what are those, sand crab? What are the things you get at the boardwalk? Sand dollars? No, it's a crab. Oh, a hermit crab? A hermit crab. A hermit crab. He's kind of like a hermit crab. That. I can see that. Not that either, but I think he's like a, a mix of that. But they stick their heads out more. That's a good, that's good thinking, Terry. Yeah. Way to go. But he doesn't have like a shell on his back. But that's where he's like yeah. a turtle. I don't know. But... It's just an interesting. And he's already red, like he's cooked. Yeah. Yes. He's already cooked. Yeah. <laughs> Um, funny. I think she's hilarious. Oh, yeah. She's very funny. And she's, like, she's got, like, a dark sense of humor, Mm -hmm. too, which I think is really interesting. She's gonna get, like, very high marks from me all around. I think she's So is is that another five for funny? funny. Jeremy? Five. I mean, also, she could have no lines and still be funny because she's so, like, exquisitely animated. Her, like, facial expressions, her reactions. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, and the way she moves, we, like, obsessed over her tentacles. Like, that was the other thing, along with, like, Ariel's hair. It was like, I couldn't, over her tentacles. I couldn't stop, wa- I could not stop watching. Like, it was just the way that she moves in every scene, I think, is really interesting. And there's also, like, a lot of sight gags about her, like, her weight. But yes. she carries herself with such confidence and sexuality mm-hmm. that, like, it yeah. almost doesn't, like, I mean... I don't know. It doesn't bother me. I feel like she owns it. Yeah. Like yes. she, she takes it and is like, yes, this is me. Like well, instead of it. Now we're getting into fierce, yes. but just FYI, if we don't give the Disney villain, uh, designed after a dra- drag queen, a five on drag queen energy, <laughs> then what have we been doing this whole time? Yeah, what is the point? A five. She's a five. I mean, <laughs> Definitely a five. She's great. And I think you make a really good point about why, like, she is a large woman, but it's not like 
there's no joke to be made about her size. I mean, there like the body language, but again, she owns like that whole thing when she like is moving her body. I'm, I'm in saying that there's way no and... character that's like, oh, the fat witch or yes, like body good, yeah. shaming her. It's yeah. just that's just who she is, and she's a fantastic character. And now, no, that's design. That's next. Um, well, let's do design since we're okay. talking about that. Why not? She survived. Yeah, absolutely. Her design. I obsessed over the way. Her whole body moves, the way her tentacles move. Her hair is another one that I think is really oh, I cool. Love I love her, her hair. hair. I love the makeup that they've given her. I also love, um, and I we talked about this earlier, but when she's over the cauldron, they change all the coloring of her face. And so then she's all greens and reds with her crazy eyes. Like, it's just, they put so much thought into her, and I think it really shows. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a five from you. Jeremy? As well, a five. It's yeah, perfect. This yeah. is gonna be ridiculous uh, because her effectiveness in my we were talking about this is a five because yeah, she does everything she wants. She only holds on to the Triton, the Trident, for a little while, but that was her goal. If we're willing to right. give well, Maleficent a that's five, what, that's what we were saying because her goal is to control the sea. Yes. Right? Yeah. Ultimately, so I feel like she does control it. She yes. loses the control. So yeah. I mean, every every villain loses. In these Disney movies, yeah. but not every villain truly lives. No, um, <laughs> but uh, like Maleficent, if we gave her a five, which was she put Snow White to sleep, or she Sleeping caught Beauty. Sleeping Beauty, yeah, put Sleeping Beauty to sleep, put uh, she captured, captured Prince. Prince. Up, if yeah. we're willing to give her a five, Malef- uh Ursula definitely gets a five. Yeah, I would agree with that. I wait. I what are we? What like... is this? Are we talking about? <laughs> Her effective, the effectiveness of her so evil. Her effectiveness, effectiveness yes, of yes, like yes. Her, ult, her overall ultimate goal. And I feel like Maleficent maybe shouldn't have gotten a five. I don't know, but we've already I think Maleficent her. got a 4.5 yes. in real life, but we don't give half, so. Yeah, I think Maleficent was a soft five. I feel like Ursula does have control of her domain, of her of the, the sea. Again, not for very long, mm-hmm. but she does. And her whole plot the whole time was not to capture Ariel. Like her whole thing the whole time was to use Ariel as leverage. And so I think that that's really eye opening us as the viewer. If you've never seen it, which again, I'll say it again, stop this podcast and go watch it. Well, at this point, no, finish the podcast. We've only got a few more (laughs) minutes left. There's no point. (laughs) Um, But you know, her ultimate goal was always to get to Triton. Like that was her ultimate. And she does it. Yeah. And I feel like she does it in such a manipulative way. Yeah. I mean, that's also like what I think makes her a good villain. And I, I I forget who it was. Some, um, teacher or something of mine said that like a villain, a good villain has like their own agenda. And then like the protagonist gets wrapped up into that. So like, that's why Mm. she's good because she wants to control the sea. And then Ariel gets wrapped up in that plan. And that's how they kind of push and pull each other. Yeah. Um, so I think, I think she's very effective. Yeah. So, so five? five. Yeah. Yeah. She does succeed. Yeah, yes, she, she does. does succeed. It's just yeah, very short. It is. Yeah, it's short lived, and it's horrific mm-hmm. the way she ends. But <laughs> um, I want to give her a zero. I'm giving. You can't. You have to give her a one. <laughs> then I'm giving her a one because I remember want more you of want her. her to get points. I know. But she gets a two from me because she kicked Max. Oh, she does kick Max. As Vanessa, okay, so here's the thing. When she's Vanessa, go away, Vanessa. Like, like, Vanessa, I hate Vanessa. So I think I will give her a two for that because when she is Vanessa, she's awful. And she does kick Max in the face with a Yeah, and if we're going to give Cruella DeVille some go-away heat for For dogs. For killing dogs, yeah. (laughs) For wanting to kill dogs. 
So I'll give her a two for that. Because, okay. yeah, I don't care for Vanessa, but I want more of Ursula, always. Uh, Jeremy. I'll give her I'll give her a one. Yes factor, I think. A six? No, you get a five. You can't. <laughs> a five, okay. yes. Yeah, she's a five. Like, just, I'm so into her. I'm only going to give her a four because what? I've seen what a five looks like, and it's you, and I don't know oh I my... could possibly match that. Are you really not going to give her a five? Hey, don't worry, because she's... Sitting. I'm sorry. I'm not supposed to bully people into yeah, numbers. Exactly. I apologize, but uh, I am shocked. Why? I want to know your reasoning. Because your actual because reasoning. I have a certain amount of feeling that a four, that I think is good, but it's not you, which is a five. So it has oh, to be a four. Oh, because I'm so excited. Because you were like, ah! I lost my mind when she <laughs> yeah. when her first scene came. Wait, have you given yeah. someone a five then? Have I? Yeah, who have you given? Oh, yeah, I have. Listen, guys, yeah. you know what? I could give her a five. In fact, I will. All right, we've bullied you into this five. That's, though, so that's the thing is now it's tainted. Want. But don't worry, because she has a 31.3. Oh, my gosh. She's, yeah. Which she's not, pulls her ahead to number one. And how many points in between her and the next one? 28.5. Oh, and that's Corella, yes. right? Yeah. She's. And I've been saying this for a while, and I don't, I like. I don't want people to think I just went, oh, I want Ursula to be number one. But, like, I literally last night in bed thought about this ranking. It was like, I can't not give her this because she does this. She does this. Like, yeah. And then watch it in the she movie. She deserves to be at the top. Like, she hits, like I said, she checks all the boxes. I'm really happy she's There's at the parts top. of me that are like, maybe I should have given her a four for funny because I think there are characters I find funnier than her. Yeah. But that would at most move her down to like a 31 solid. So she'd still be higher. So than I Cruella. still think yeah. she'd win. I think this is, the, I, and I, I, I think with these Renaissance villains like Scar and Jafar, yeah. and, it's going to uh, start Gaston, getting tricky. Yeah, they're yeah. going to be all high, high, high villains. I yeah. think the the top ten is going to see a big change. Um, what is the top ten now? So Just once again, it. the top ten is now Ursula is number one, number two, Cruella de Vil. Tied for third is the Evil Queen and Maleficent. Mm-hmm. Uh, tied for fifth is Captain Hook and Judge Doom. Number seven is the... Uh, what is it doing? Number seven is the Headless Horseman. Uh, number eight is Mad Madam Mim. Number nine, Shere Khan. And number ten, Madam Medusa. I really wish we... The only one I would want to re-rank mm-hmm. is Cinderella. I think she deserves to be a little she higher. She deserves on this to list. be higher. I feel I like will we say I rank her. Pro- that was early on when we did villain rankings because mm. I feel like she's Lady Tremaine is so intense. I I think part of it is that her evil, everyone else's evil plan is some sort of murder or domination, <laughs> yeah. and hers is like I just hate my stepsister, my stepdaughter, my daughters. You know, yeah. like it's. I think that's part of it, but I do think she needs to be higher on that list. Um, I think it's a good list. I think we maybe we'll do a mini tale in defense of Lady Tremaine and we'll re-rank and see what happens. But Um, um, Jeremy, thank you once again for being on. We really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. This was fun. It was really fun doing this. Thank you for being a part of history and our new number (laughs) one. Uh, thank you again, everyone here involved. A little pat on the back for keeping this under three hours. We did it. Uh, We did it. (laughs) Um, Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Jeremy, we always ask our guests to plug something, um, whether that's a personal project you're working on, uh, something that's not involved with you that you've just been enjoying lately, or just some sort of sentiment uh, you know you want to put out there in the world. Uh, now's your time to plug away. Yeah, if you, anyone wants to learn more about me, you can go to my website, jeremyjordanking.com. 
how about you check out that book I mentioned earlier? Yes, I Tinker actually I'm going to put it on my Amazon list. It's I'm probably outdated because it was it. written in like nine, in like 2000. Um, okay. I don't know if it has a second edition or not, but um, nothing much has changed since then. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> All right. Well, thanks, guys. Uh, I believe our next movie is Rescuers Down Under I with a returning guest. Yes. Yeah. So Danny will be back for that one. So until next time. Bye, guys. Bye. Thanks for listening to Tara and Ryan's Princess Diaries. If you want to tell us your favorite Disney villain and why it's guest on, send us an email at trprincessdiaries at gmail.com. Or you can send a tweet about how great Maleficent is, too, at TRP Diaries. Check out our Facebook group by searching for Tara and Ryan's Princess Diaries. Tara and Ryan's Princess Diaries are available on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Overcast, and many more. Wherever you hear us, please be our knight in shining armor and give us a five-star review. Thanks again, and until next time, remember to always live happily ever after. Um.